With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It has been quite an ordeal. And upon the uh, onset of the investigation, certainly there's no one in America who is not above being investigated for any reason. I thought that from time to time the investigation was a bit unfair. I thought that uh, the charges that were hurled against uh, me and my company were, were wrong. When asked how he was going to celebrate tonight, McMahon said he intends to go back to work to provide fans of the World Wrestling Federation the fun entertainment they've come to expect from him. It's the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast with Jack Encarnacio and J.P. Sorrow. It's still real to me, damn it! The Lapsed Fan. In all my years in professional wrestling, I've never seen anything like it! Oh my God! Drop kick in a beauty! Well, it's the Lapsed Fan Man, number one in the ring. Forget about Sasaro, we the real king of swing. When the bell goes ding, you can kick like me. Thrown in the corner, with a splash like sting. Even Jerry King would take off the crown. Nodding his head like he's D-Lo Brown. If you get low down, but we go even higher. Flip you on your head, but you know cool driver. We be spitting more knowledge than Dragon Spits Fire. Give you more shock than when Edge retires. Dropping more truth than we kind of sniper. Bless you with a coconut, Roddy Piper. Jack and JP be like JYD. Drop the cupcakes and gluten. The brain beans. The best podcast from start to close. If y'all benefit, it's a five-second Boss, sometimes in life, you just have to look at the calendar and let it tell you what time it is. Because 25 years ago, we realized as we prepared the latest installment of the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast here in sort of a, a chairman's choice interregnum period, that Vincent Kennedy McMahon, uh, coming up this summer, took the stand, <clears throat> faced the music, yeah. and Uniondale, New York, in the trial of his life, and we've talked about it throughout the course of the show, really since day one, Yeah, WrestleMania journey, and so many other stops along the way, the Survivor Series 1993 show, which happened essentially the same week he was indicted on conspiracy to distribute anabolic steroids charges, and we thought, how fun would it be? See, that was the problem right there. Is that Ooh. see what they what they didn't what they didn't understand was that I didn't I I, I did not distribute anabolic steroids. I just distributed steroids. What's the difference? Well, one's anabolic, others are not. So you distributed corticosteroids. You distributed. I distributed Titan steroids that were produced 
in the basement of my laboratory in Titan Towers. Titan Roids. Hmm. So you think legal? Is that the full name, Titan Roids Legal? Or is that just the... Well, that's the company we made for defense of these roids. Innocent. Not guilty. I think that's right. I think that's right. And what was maybe the first glimpse we ever got as WWF fans sitting at home watching their television product of the side of Vince McMahon that we're so well acquainted with today after all these years? Um... The Vince McMahon who, if you stand in his way, if you try to chop him down to size, if you try to assert yourself in the world and the sandbox that he has dominated since 1984, really, what does he do after he comes out on top, emerges... Relatively unscathed from the battle, does he accept it gracefully, boss? Is he a good sport about it, or can you count on Vince McMahon, even back in 1994, before he was the television character evil owner, before he pulled Montreal on Bret Hart, before he basically went nuts because World Championship Wrestling was nipping at his heels and indeed surpassing him in the Monday Night Ratings Wars? Would he dance on your grave, even back then? On August 1st, 1994, the WWF went up live with an edition of Raw from Youngstown, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And it was the first WWF television broadcast, it was the first <laughs> live one, since Vince McMahon, as you referenced, yeah. was acquitted of the aforementioned charges in a six-month-long trial that... And I'm not a quitter. No, no, acquitted, I said, Vince. I didn't say you were a quitter. I'm not no, a quitter. No, I, I know. I wasn't suggesting that you acquit. I, I bury hard. Right? You can all expect to be buried hmm. and burned hard. <laughs> so, Vince, as you put on the cans, as they say in the industry, as you put on the headsets to commentate this edition of Monday Night Raw, the first live WWF television broadcast since your name was cleared mm -hmm. and you returned to the helm of the organization that you had led to such great heights. <coughs> mm -hmm. What is your mission? What are you looking mm -hmm. to communicate over the USA Network airwaves? Are you looking to show a sense of reserve, gratefulness, mm -hmm. or is it time yeah. to poke mm -hmm. the fucking bear? Well, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you this. I, I, I'm not gonna. I never. I was not prepared, nor was I had any desire to say anything. That was not. That was not my style. It's not my style. I don't right. enjoy dancing on people's graves. I don't enjoy making fun of people who lose. But. If somebody else has that need, that that ego, that they need to um, nurture and take care of, I mean, we in this in this country we have the freedom of speech. 
who am I to tell somebody they can't say something? I am <laughs> thoroughly confused. Did you just sort of uncouple yourself from yourself here? Did you just... Did you suggest that you're not going to stand in your own way when it comes to mocking those who lose? Or... Are you are you suggesting that I that I did mock people? Are you I'm suggesting, suggesting that, that I said I'm suggesting if you if there was an opposite of the word contrition, it is the no. way the way the broadcast sounded. Can can you can this you name night one in August nineteen? Can you name one? I'm very familiar with our television broadcast vehicles. Can you name one instance where I said anything about oh, the United States me, government? Vince. Seriously, can you point out one? point where I, I mean, if I remember correctly, and yeah. I think that I do. I know, Randy said I remember said, everything. I, I mean, I uh, tried to hush up Randy. I told him, all right, all right, all right, let's calm down. Vince, please. I mean, we, know, what? We, I mean, there's no, we know We know enough about you to know that you prompted him to say as much as possible about not, the prosecution, I can, to look, mock the outcome, doing, I'm sorry, to mock the federal government, so here's something you don't and understand. you could stand there. You're doing there. color commentary. When you're doing color commentary with somebody who is as charismatic and kind of a, a loose cannon as Randy Macho Man Savage, there is there's no saying. You know, I mean, it's it's no different than being doing commentary with a man like Bobby Heenan. You don't know what's going to come out of their mouths. They 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 improvise. I have no control over that. I did my best to to not draw attention to um. Yes, you certainly did your best to not draw attention to the fact that you were acquitted on all charges in July right. 1994. I, I said nothing. I, I wanted to leave well enough alone. Randy, yep. an excited young man, or middle-aged man, at the time. Now he's dead. Is that all? <laughs> Well, yes, I, I was sort of laughing my ass off, but that aside, um, it sounded like you were halfway through a thought there, Vince. Um, oh, no. I, I guess not. My, my thought's over. So, so this is what it sounds like. It's like I'm over. Hmm? This is what it sounds like when yeah. uh, Vince McMahon wants to get a point across here in 1994. And let's... I didn't want to get anything across. I wanted it to be dead and buried. I mean, that was the trial of my life, damn it. Let's take a listen, boss. What do you say to what it sounds like when Vince McMahon wants to leave well enough alone? When one dodges a bullet, does he beg the person with the pistol to load another round? You're damn right he does. It's perhaps the first glimpse we ever got at the full-bodied nature of Vince McMahon's psyche on his own television show. It's sort of a nondescript one-hour show on the bill to the 1994 SummerSlam, and there is some notable things that happen in the ring, and it is a fairly interesting time in WWF history from uh, what's going on behind the scenes standpoint, the arrangement of the characters, and so forth. But the significance, truly, that weighs underneath this show, and why we thought it might be so fun to just throw into the mix this week on TLF... It's the fact that it's the first time Vince McMahon steps onto his television after having survived said trial. Boss, just overall yeah. feelings, thoughts on watching this show all these years later. This is I a mean, very soft period, I think, for both of us in terms of, you know, 
a lot of this stuff is going to feel nostalgic and new at the same time. It it, it really does. I don't really remember, <clears throat> um, you know, I don't rem- I remember the steroid, tri- steroid trial going on. I don't remember this episode of Raw. Um, Nobody talks about this. No one does. I don't think people appreciate that this is in this archive because yeah, when I, I went agree. back and researched and I was reading the observers from the time, for example, there's no reference to the fact that oh, Vince yeah. McMahon and, and Randy Savage carried on so sarcastically about I mean, it is the, the whole verdict. fucking show. I mean, I the can't whole believe show. people don't talk about this all the time. I... I'm wondering if, you know, for me, around this time in the summertime, I, uh, we, you know, my, my parents would always, we'd always go away to the beach for, for like a week or two. So I always wonder if maybe that was around the time that this happened and I missed it because I really don't have any recollection of this show. I, re- I certainly recognize everything they were building towards. You know, that SummerSlam show was, was uh, one that I got. And that I ordered, but man, I can't remember a damn thing. None of this stuff w- resonated with me. Pretty amazing. In that, you know, in that way, you know, like none of it was familiar. Well, we'll have some fun and set the table. Oh, totally. And we'll uh, we'll put you back there. Did what? you remember this one? No, not this particular episode. No, mm-hmm. it's it's so weird. You knew the steroid trial was going on. Did you know that from just television news coverage of it? My dad told me. He did. Yeah. What did he tell you? Me. I just remember. I mean, I think he, I just remember him telling me one time, you know, he'd give me a little, if something happened in the, in the news, he'd tell me about it. I just remember him talking about Vince McMahon um, and there was some kind of steroid scandal. Did that make sense to you? Did you know Vince was the owner? Yeah, I, I knew. I knew at the time. I It was one of those weird things where I... Um, like all like all of wrestling where you you're told the truth one time but you don't you try to find ways to disprove the truth truth oh interesting it's you know? all yeah it's almost like the 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 fate that any pro wrestling fan is conscripted to for the rest of his life right right it's like you want to believe everything's real then someone tells you that it's fake and you try to point out points but look at that see that that that's not right that's not fake. Right. That's real. And I remember... And that's the rest of your life. You're stuck with right. that mentality and no matter what it is exactly. you're looking at in any any area of life. That's it. You're stuck. You are a wrestling fan. I'm sorry. Um, and I remember... I, can, I, I remember the guy who told me that Vince McMahon was the real boss. It was the guy... I think I've talked about him too. This, this fucking painter. He was a... Uh, you know, he, he painted my parents' house. Like the inside... Like the, the walls... Oh, so not like a Jackson Pollock painter. No, 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 not like no, not like a, a Van Gogh. Hmm. <laughs> not like an artiste. Right. Who was known for his inspiration and not his perspiration. <laughs> um but but uh no, it was like a guy who was painting the rooms of the house and at some point it came across that he was a fan of wrestling. And so here's this probably 30 plus year old man who's talking with a 10-year-old kid about professional wrestling. Wow. And um, he told me, he said, you know that Vince McMahon is the real owner, right? 
And I'm like, no, Jack Tunney's the president. No, no. Vince McMahon is a real, real owner. And it was like, it didn't sit well with me because right. he's just the fucking announcer. Right. And, and keep in mind, this was like, this was 92. Mm-hmm. So he's pretty well known as being the owner for the most part. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's been pretty much outed, even though it's not talked about on Yeah, on the, on the news, certainly. I mean, he had just announced the steroid policy, and that got pretty good pickup on national yeah. news. But I'm I'm sitting there trying to find ways to prove this guy wrong. There's no way he's the owner until like probably six months after it finally set in. And I'm like, you know what? He really is the owner. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, people said, oh, I remember I heard Vince used to be a wrestler himself and that he broke someone's neck. I remember <laughs> my uh, childhood friend saying that. I don't know how the hell that started. That's kind of like. Kerry Von Erich yeah, is ultimate Kerry, warrior. I was going to say, Kerry Von Erich ultimate warrior, and the ultimate warrior actually died. Right. <laughs> That's why he wasn't seen. Yeah, totally. Right. Right. And Mike Tyson beat Antonio <laughs> Anoki. And, and Tyson and Austin. And Kurt Angle uh, rolled through Tatsumi Fujinami's knee bar. It, it was all there. Kurt Angle just completely, just continuously rolls through. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he ought to open a fucking bakery at this point. This guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he just produces rolls at a at a clip. I don't think he, we've ever seen. He really he should open like a German bakery so he could have the rolling German. <laughs> I mean, if there's nothing else, he rises to the occasion, much like yeast right. in that in that oven. So, damn right. I mean, those very relevant facts aside, uh, yeah, it's time to hear Vince McMahon gloat in a way that he would not have allowed his announcer straight man character of 20 years to ever do on WWF television and uh, kind of let loose a little bit and celebrate. And hell, he's talked very frankly about how nervous he was about going to the clink and how it felt like the walls were closing in on him. And even if he didn't feel in the least bit guilty of what he was charged with, that that was immaterial because life is about boxing somebody in, yes. forcing perception to become reality, and, and fact patterns being nothing more than fodder for the next round of television entertainment. And so, in his world, there. in his way of thinking, he's going to be victimized by the same falsities <clears throat> that he has trafficked in his whole life. And uh, it didn't happen. He survived, and it was at a fascinating time for him and his company. Perhaps because of all of this pressure and distraction, it was a time where the World Wrestling Federation was losing serious ground in just about every business metric, with yeah. the exception of raw ratings, which is very interesting, and we'll talk about that here in a bit. But what's happening over on the other dial? Shortly after Hulk Hogan steps into the courtroom in Uniondale, New York, to testify in Vince McMahon's trial, and indeed, as we'll talk about, disappoints his erstwhile employer and boss in the way he presented himself on the stand, what is the Hulkster doing in the summer of 1994, boss? Mm, I believe at this time he's the uh, WCW champion. He's made his way to World Championship Wrestling, inked the contract, the most lucrative one in the history of the industry in this country. He has beaten Ric Flair at the Bash of the Beach, and he is now your new WCW flag Actually, waver. He's currently, um, what he's currently doing is um, is fighting a, uh, actually, maybe that hadn't happened yet, actually. I take it back. I was going to say he's fighting a masked man who crippled him. That happened in August, I think, later in the month. Oh, you're talking about um, uh, Ed Leslie. Well, it wasn't at Leslie at the time. <laughs> Set up Starcade, yeah. Yeah, it's it's slowly becoming, you know, all right, guys, uh, it's been fun, it's been real, but uh, we've got a new uh, boss here 
there's been an election. Hulk Hogan's coming in, and he's going to install all of his preferred ministers, and he's going to clean out the last administration, and that's starting to happen. That's right, brother. First thing uh, Flair does is count the lights, uh, get that strap on the Hulkster, and we're so off what and I think the best thing to do, brother, is for the first. I think for my first two pay-per-view appearances, dude, is that what I'm going to do is I'm going to beat Ric Flair both times, dude, and the second time I'm going to end his career, brother. <laughs> it's almost like instead of trying to build a program and make some money, you're trying to eliminate a threat, Hulk. No, no, dude, I'm not trying to eliminate threats, dude. I'm just trying to create dominance, brother, so that people can understand who is the dominant player, dude. It's not about, it's not about threats, brother. You know, <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm here... I'm in, a, I'm in a fresh place. I'm not looking around, dude. You know, expect me to roll up from behind, brother. I'm not doing what I'm trying to do. You sure, Terry? Dude. Who's that, dude? I've never seen that man before, brother. Who's that guy? Jim Barnett. He calls you Sterling. He just kind of hangs around backstage now. I'm not yeah, even sure what if he has a job or what. Dude, I want to tell you what he, what he better fucking do. He better hang around out of my fucking business, dude. Because you know what, dude? I'm not handling that shit, brother. Handling what Keep shit, Terry? What does that mean? I'm not handling that shit. Whatever it is, dude. Whatever it is, dude. I'm not handling it, brother. He is not right, dude. And I quote, Whatever it is, whatever it is, brother, I'm not handling it. And he ain't right, dude. Thanks, Terry. So, uh, there are a few um, poke the bear things you can do more than take Hulk Hogan from Vince McMahon in 1993-4 and then put the put the strap on him and have him lead the opposition. So, WWF is fully in their attack mode, new generation, everybody that works for Turner or Dinosaurs thing. Remember our second show, King of the Ring? No, it wasn't our second show. Sorry, it was King of the Ring 95 was our second show. King of the Ring 94 show. Like our, yeah, I think it was our fourth show. Fourth was Either it? Either way. Yeah. Um, and they are just, they got the guns out. They're showing clips of Hulk on their own television with this, like, you know, old-timey Model T era black and white grainy footage as if they were from, like, the 30s, right? So this is just a few months after that. And uh, WCW's only further uh, pushed Hulk Hogan into the forefront in the meantime, here as we enter August of 1994. So there's a lot of that rhetoric on the broadcast and in the air with the WWF at that point in time. And it does tie into the trial, because like I said, Hulk Hogan was sort of the star witness of the whole thing and was thought to be perhaps the person who would be forced under penalty of perjury to admit that indeed Vince McMahon was essentially his steroid pusher, trafficking in a substance that by that point in time was illegal to possess in the United States. So... It didn't quite come down to that, but uh, all told, July 22nd, 1994, at about 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, the jury comes back, and Vince McMahon is acquitted. Um, and it, it still boggles the mind, boss, just to think about being alive in that period of time. I know. And to be in that courtroom, and to hear the lunacy that is professional wrestling and the psychology that reigns in professional wrestling to be laid bare in a serious context like a federal courtroom. It's just the kind of spectacle that you can only really observe once in a lifetime. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's to say for one thing, it's in federal court and 
television cameras are not allowed in federal not allowed. For law. Yep. That's why you always see artist sketches of what's going on in a federal courtroom, but you can see straight up video uh, in a state court. And so yeah. we don't even know what it looked like when people were on the stand. We just have like charcoal sketches of what it looked like when people were on the stand. We don't know how they sounded, but there were people who were able <coughs> to be in that courtroom uh, and, and hear and see how the lifetime phonies yeah. tried to um, parlay that lifetime skill into working a jury instead of uh, 1,400 was, people at the county was anyone Was anyone of note there who like got the... Um like who 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 witnessed it firsthand? Who's written about or anything? Well, yeah, I mean, there's certainly news media all over the place. Dave Meltzer was able to attend a lot of the sessions. He went out there to New York and put on everything. Um, I'm not sure if he saw everything. To tell you the truth, I know he saw a lot of it and he hit all the key points. And so he's got a lot of reporting that's very valuable historically. Because yeah, of look, course. I mean, here's another thing about court sessions like this. There's no transcript. You know, I mean, there's no there's no transcript that you can just go down to the court in New York and just pull out and look at like like the rest of the exhibits that are filed. That's why a huge... aren't those? I thought the kind of stuff was like was for public, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's public. Um, what's what's public is what's filed during the course of the case as exhibits and as evidence and as motions and as arguments and the and the evidence supporting those documents. If part of the transcript at some point down the line, if a piece of it, let's say, became an exhibit in another motion, I think this is how it works, then that part of the transcript would be there. But there's no law that says an entire transcript of a federal trial has to sit in the public docket in the courtroom forevermore. That's something that exists, but doesn't have to sit there for public inspection. In fact, I think you have to pay a pretty penny, in fact, especially if it's a long trial, uh-huh. to get whoever, you know, took the notes to reproduce them at your request. Uh, they exist in that way, but they don't exist in the same way that records yeah. were used to being able to easily access. It takes a lot of money, I think, and a lot of resource and a lot of uh, time, especially, I mean, I don't know how you could possibly do it. I mean, it's back in 1994. I'm sure it's on right. a format that's just like ancient right in terms of transcribing and it. i mean but 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 if you had it like that that's that that's like the only like truly reliable sources to what goes on because you get you get conversations right you would wouldn't you get conversations that you know that you might not necessarily hear like maybe a dave Meltzer wouldn't hear like sure up close yeah, conversations I, like judges and yeah, lawyers and anything, shit like that yeah, anything right wow yeah. anything that's said in the courtroom just for legal purposes has to be recorded <clears throat> for posterity right. it's quite you know if if everything that's said can be said to the jury is the question because you don't want to, you can't taint them. But sometimes communication needs to happen between counsel and the judge that you know clarifies where this thing is going. But if the jury heard that, it it might raise questions unnecessarily or raise questions in their mind that might prejudice one side or the other in the case. So yeah, that's a good point too. You would think all those details would be in there. So you know we we only know so much about what happened mm-hmm. back then, and this isn't. You know, necessarily like uh, a look at all that. It's just to point out that that's the context that the August first, nineteen ninety four edition of Monday Night Raw takes right. place in. And um, as I mentioned, 
it's a, it's a tough time because not only is Hogan headlining over WCW, but Bash at the Beach 1994 was an unmitigated success. Really one of the first of its kind um, in, in the history of the WWF-WCW war. And by WCW, I mean post-Crockett, 1991 right. and on WCW. Um, did a 1.02 buy rate, which was the biggest WCW pay-per-view haul since 1991 or so, doubling the previous month's uh, Slamboree 1994 pay-per-view. Uh, so that's about 230 homes purchasing wow. it, grossing $3 million or $2.5 million. Um, Hogan, of course, with an incredibly rich pay-per-view cut and live gate cut, probably walked out with seven hundred grand on the night. So it's it's sizing up to be a pretty uh, serious arrangement that can continue and perpetuate, yeah. perhaps, if the WWF doesn't figure out what to do. And Vince McMahon's time and energy is freed up just in time to uh, to battle back. Because, as we know... It was kind of a, a scattershot operation in terms of who was running things at Titan with Vince McMahon fighting these charges and really not being able to be uh, at, at the top of the ship, at the head of the ship. So it was um, not the best time for WCW to start figuring something out that had spark. Um, the pressure got so intense that at the August 5th, 1994 WWF house show in Pittsburgh during a Bret Hart versus Owen Hart match, according to The Observer, someone holds up a banner in the audience and it shows Flair versus Hogan 1.1, that being in reference to uh, the buy rate for the match. And next mm. to it, it says King of the Ring 0.7. Who's kidding who? Wow. So it's, uh, you know. Why waste a banner in a fucking house show? It's <laughs> a good point. Maybe it wasn't a house show. I don't know. It was August 5th. So if this was August 1st and it was live, it probably no wasn't way. a house show. Yeah. It must have been a house show. That's, that's like, but dude, like, fucking send that to whoever else is going to, you know, you should have fucking brought that to, uh, had somebody go to this, this raw, the, yep. the, the live raw and the tapings that they did afterwards and fucking got it on TV somehow. This all to say that for all the confidence in Vince McMahon's voice on this broadcast, there's also a certain subtext of unease, uneasiness about the state of affairs in the industry when he gets his full attention back on it. Um, asked the day of the verdict what he thought of Hulk Hogan's testimony in court, McMahon says, quote, uh, to Channel 5 in New York, I don't feel bad when anyone tells the truth. However, it feels bad when someone you worked with takes the stand and does not tell the whole truth and all of the truth. That hurt me very badly, end quote. Ooh. Yeah, it hurt him badly in more ways than one, as we're about to find out. But, hey, this is the WWF. They have uh, resources at their disposal, right, to cast people the way they want them to be cast, to shape public opinion around a, a friend or a foe. And, I don't know, if the, part of the order of the day here is to make people feel stupid for being interested in Hulk Hogan and WCW, why don't we take it to the pages of the WWF magazine, boss? Ooh. And cast aspersions oh. on the holster. Oh, yes. And remind people <clears throat> that uh, Hulk Hogan, the last time you would have seen him, WWF fans, he was getting sat on by Yokozuna. And I Seth remember Packing. this issue. Do you remember this? Do you remember a commentary by Vince Russo in the August 1994 edition of WWF Magazine? First of all, let's just talk about the, uh, uh, the, the, the front page. Yeah. Or the covered. That big picture picture of, of Yokozuna covering Hulk Hogan, Yoko rules. Oh my god. Is the uh, is what it says on the cover. Yokozuna, the greatest federation champion ever. Question mark. And what's what's extra bizarre about this? Uh that Yokozuna 
hasn't been champion <laughs> for fucking four months now, five months. Fans, remember, I said <clears throat> August 1994, not three. Yeah. Yokozuna hasn't been WWF champion since WrestleMania of 1994. Right. Yokozuna and beat Hulk Hogan at King of the Ring 1993 in June of that For that year. matter, it hasn't really been around that much I either. Know. He's certainly not on this edition of Raw. Is he even on SummerSlam? I don't think so. Nope, he's not. He's He wasn't on King of the Ring either. So what's was that? He? Did he, or was that a, was there a tag match? I think there might have been a tag match. Hmm. But either way, it was it was not um, no. So all those factors put together tell me what put him on the cover of the magazine. Why, of course, right? That that's only logical. And you go. I, I remember reading this as a kid and just being horrified. Why? And so upset because Hulk Hogan was my hero. He was my wrestling hero. And. Um, a commentary by Vince Russo. And uh, I remember, yeah, it was a, it, it just was like, oh, I just kind of like, oh, you guys are such fucking losers. You really felt you that know? way even at your I, age at that point? I yeah. did. I did. I said, I, I thought it was kind of weak for them in Bush League for them to be fucking bashing Hogan. Oh, like yeah. it just didn't, it didn't feel right. It didn't even feel like, it didn't convince me, I'll tell you that. No, you know, because I'm still fucking watching, you know, Clash of the Champions end of the end of August. <laughs> yeah. Well, know? they know you're doing that. That's why they're showing their hands so desperately. That's but why like, they're going so uh, so hard and bald faced. Yeah. You know, we got to try something because this is actually working over there. This is Hulk Hogan. This I, is I the can, person. I, I can fucking picture picture Russo running. Somebody has to say it, so I might as well be the one. That and this isn't Vic Venom, folks. This is Vince Russo. Vince Russo. Before anybody, before that name had any baggage to it outside of New York radio markets and video Dude, stores. Yokozuna was the greatest champion in the history of the World Wrestling Federation. Case closed. He's saying this in August of 1994. I mean, oh my God. that's like talking about how great of a champion Bob Backlund was in 1994, which right. they were doing. But you know what I mean? It's like, it's just, it's not quite like that, but it's it's that random. It's that that transparent. Well, no, it's like, it, you know, it, it would be like <clears throat> calling Shawn Michaels the greatest WWE champion of all time in... Um, in August of 98 because he beat Bret Hart at Survivor Series. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's and this is this exact same right. fucking thing. And a match that, you know, while it's well after he's lost the damn belt, but because of the person. Yep. You know, and a match that while ostensibly a clean finish was hard, was anything but, you know, when you think about all the hoopla around it, it was like, man, you know, they're acting like uh, it was a warrior Hogan finish here with, you know, clean in the middle. And there's no debate. The Hogan got fucking fireball thrown in his face. How about that? I know. You know forget about that. They found three pic. They found a picture of Hogan with like a scared look on his face from like 1987, and they put what it in here too. What is that from? I'm wondering what that's from. I don't know. He's like trembling with his mouth wide open, and they they show it like kind of at a far away. Then they zoom in once and show it again under that picture, and then yep. under that one they zoom in three times. It's kind of effective. So, but I'm gonna tell you that the greatest thing you can do is keep on showcasing the guy in your fucking magazine. This is this is this is them being shook. This is them being gotten to, and it's just fascinating to me that with Vince dealing with all this legal stress, that they still have the time to cry in their soup about the about Hulk Hogan moving. 
Um, case closed. You can argue to the cows come home, but like it or not, the facts remain. He beat Hulk Hogan, thus virtually ending the phenomenon we knew as Hulkamania, and he defeated the future of the Federation, Bret Hart. Two champions, two victories. No man in the World Wrestling Federation was able, ever able, to accomplish that before. In my opinion, no man will ever accomplish that again. Yokozuna is the true immortal one. It feels like an eternity since Yokozuna first came to North America. However, in reality, it's been less than two years. Feels like an eternity since, since I've seen Yokozuna on my television. Absolutely. Is he still in America, as far as we know? And he came to North America from where? Hawaii? That's North America. Or uh, Japan. Japan. I remember when I first saw him in the World Wrestling Federation. I think it was sometime in September of 1992. He yeah. stomped the life out of a preliminary wrestler, literally walking all over him. It was reminiscent of Godzilla taking out a small town in Japan, bro, courtesy of an afternoon stroll. My first thought was that there was no mortal alive who could beat this monster, but surprisingly enough, the vast majority of the fans paid no attention. My first thought was, hell, this shit's fucking fake. It's written ahead of time. <laughs> it's written. <laughs> so it was written, so it shall come to pass. That's right. At the time, they were gaga over rumors that a so-called immortal wrestler was coming back home to the Federation. That supposed immortal, all caps, like this is Twitter, that supposed immortal was Hulk Hogan. Can you imagine? Can supposed immortal being, being uh, quotes instead? Yes. This is the WWF magazine, just a year after Hogan left. I mean, just like... While everybody was hopping on the red and yellow Hulka wagon, nobody was noticing the unstoppable force from the land of the rising sun. I noticed. I stopped everything to notice. Yokozuna was truly on a rampage. He notched one victory after another without even breaking into a sweat. I mean, come on. He definitely broke into a lot of sweats. <laughs> did you ever see the flab under his tits, for example? I mean, did you ever fucking lift one of those suckers up and yep. take a whiff? He also broke into a lot of candy stores <clears throat> after they were closed. He also wore a lot of sweats because nothing else fit him. <laughs> he was the sweats. <laughs> Hell, he didn't even muss up his own hair, which was neatly collected in a bun. <laughs> yeah, Yokozuna, fashion, a, fa a, a fashionista back in, uh, you know, predicting the future back in 1994. A the first man bun. <laughs> the first pork bun, maybe. And the last pork bun as well. <laughs> Uh, atop his gargantuan head. Yokozuna was the future of professional wrestling, and nobody was noticing. Cut to Venice Beach, California, with babes, beaches, and B-rated movies. Hulk Hogan was on top of the Tampa. world. Yeah, I know, seriously. A movie star without a worry in the world. His biggest nemeses now were Siskel and Ebert. So why Tampa? Why does he live in Tampa? What's the fucking big deal about Tampa? Well... A couple of things. He's from Florida. Grew up in Florida. Okay. Um, Florida uh, has no income tax and has... Um, no, I mean, great for Florida, but why Tampa? Coastal climbs, baby. And it's not that expensive either, but it's got that there, coast. It makes people feel like they're living... You've um, got... The whole state is coast. No, that's like, not true. Not the whole state. Florida? The yeah. whole state is coast. What about, it covers more ocean. It's a... Than any other state. Yeah, well, like, it, has, it has a very long coast. It does. Why? That's accurate. Tampa. Tampa's such a fucking dump. 
Uh, I kind of liked Tampa when I went. Oh, I didn't mm. like Tampa at all. Ebor City or whatever it's called. Ebor. I mean, I'm also not a big Florida fan to begin with, yeah. but like, yeah, well, there's, you got, there's that. Like, like, I mean, get a little Cubano, huh? Get a little uh, grouper. I mean, that's fine. I mean, it, great, but Raymond Tampa's, James Stadium. Tampa's felt so fucking run down. Yeah, and so yeah. fucking shitty. Like, at least I don't know. Go with the old farts down in Boca. That was nice. I was there for seven weeks. Boca Hogan. I liked Boca. That's right. I'm sure Boca he spent Mania. some. He's been, I'm Boca sure Burger. he spent <laughs> Boca Burger. Okay. You know he spent some time in Boca. I'm sure he did. That's where Vince had his had his condo and he had his boat, the sexy bitch, docked. Remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, that sexy bitch. Right in my nuts. <laughs> Even though these two critics constantly chided his movies, Hulk didn't care. Like, what does this have to do with the Okazuna? He was secure for life, and no. nothing was going to get him back into the war zone called the Squared Circle, or so we thought. Just as quickly as you could say James Dean, Hogan's friend Brutus the Barber Beefcake, was attacked <laughs> on Monday Night Raw. By the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Erwin R. Scheister. Out of all the people, James Dean. Such a random choice of movie star. Just as quickly as you could say Dean Ho. That would be f- even quicker, right? Like, Just as quickly as you could say Chun-Li. Why? Why a guy? Why are you choosing? I mean, I know James, James Dean's legendary, but yep. really for dying more so than his movies? Because mm-hmm. he had like three major movies and then he died. Right. So, like, what? <laughs> there must a be, lot of... It must be some reference to, I don't know, must be some reference to this storyline and something James Dean was known for. I, I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, Vince Russo yeah, used probably. to run a video store, okay? That's he true. Basically, he, knows, he knows movies. Yes. He was like the guy in Clerks. Silent Bob. Did Silent Bob run the video? No. No, not Silent Bob. It was... Uh, um, um, Jay didn't run it either. It was no, the other guy. Um, What's his uh, name? Dante. Dante. Yes, thank you. Dante. Fucking Gabe Sapolsky. Dante, looking like a, <laughs> looking like somebody that would sell ECW bootleg tapes in an armory in 1997. Absolutely did. Um, you know he had a collection. Yeah. Yeah, Dante... Uh, Dante wore flannel, but the man was connected. Hogan was on the first plane back to New York and was ready to rumble once again, and Yokozuna kept winning, and still no one seemed to notice. Yet! It was payback time for Money, Inc. when Beefcake and Hogan attempted to even up the score at WrestleMania 9, even though the Mega Maniacs, the name of the Hogan Beefcake team, lost the match due to a disqualification. They felt that justice had been served as they beat the Money, Inc. team from ring post to ring post. It was also later at WrestleMania 9 that Yokozuna beat Bret Hart to become the World Wrestling Federation champion. People noticed. Are you not going to mention, by the way, (laughs) that immediately following... That victory over Bret Hart, Hulk Hogan beat his ass in 10 seconds. They do. They do mention a little bit later. Being a fair journalist, I must give credit where credit is due. Bret fought a hell of a fight. He went toe-to-toe with the Japanese beast for what seemed hell to be of an a eternity. Spent, spelled H-E-L-L-U-V-A. Oh, like he's sure. fucking texting. <laughs> sure. If it hadn't been for a handful <clears throat> of salt thrown in the eyes of the hitman, courtesy of Yoko's manager, Master Fuji Hart, um... Might have scored the upset, but he didn't. With all being fair in love and wrestling, Yokozuna was the new champion. Enter Hulk Hogan, reeking egomania. This is like his promo at Bash at the Beach 2000 right. on Hogan. This is like a preview like, of it. Nah, I, 
I already wrote this one. And what do we see right next to this paragraph I'm reading, boss? What's the picture? What's the you illustration? You get a picture of Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. um, cupping his ear with a tombstone in the back and underneath a caption that reads, Hulkamania, January 23rd, 1984 to June 13th, 1993. Oh, my God. It's one of those really old tombstones, too, like in, the, in a pilgrim burial ground somewhere. Right, the, right. Once you see him fucking like, you know, one of the like... Like you see in Boston, where fucking Paul Revere's buried. Right, right. Because <laughs> he's like that thin. Yep. You know, like you touch it, it's going to fucking fall apart. Absolutely. It's 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 a it's a little wafer sticking out of the ground. Right. And Hogan, I mean, if you're a Hulkamaniac in the summer of 1994, like you were, wanting nothing more than for Hulk to be back in the WWF and for everything to be right again, and you crack open this magazine and you catch a glimpse of Hogan in the magazine, I mean. You get excited to see just a picture of Hogan again on WWF uh, news. Not only that, but like as a as a Hulk Hogan fan, I mean, yeah, in my in my deepest of desires, I wanted him to wrestle for the WWE, but I didn't fucking care really. I was just happy that he was wrestling, and I'll follow him anywhere. Well, therein lies the problem, boss, huh? Right. But I mean, I just can't, you know. And then you realize, oh, they're drawing me in with Hulk again. But it's just they're shitting on him. Like, I don't even Yokozuna isn't even around anymore. <laughs> like, why do I care about Yokozuna? Like, not that, but he'd been around. He hadn't been around for fucking oh. for over a year and a half. And Yokozuna hasn't been around for months. Like, like who fucking cares? Reeking egomania. Hulk challenged the new champ, who had just gone over thirty. Well, he's right about that. Reeking egomania. Sure, being the man that he is. Yoko accepted. This time, however, Fuji's salt gag backfired, and Yokozuna was the recipient. Again, all being fear and love and wrestling, Hogan pinned Yokozuna and became the new champion. It didn't last long. Even though Hogan wasn't familiar with the word sequel in the movie business... Oh, I get it. They never wanted to make another... What about Three Ninjas? Well, he wasn't in the first well, one. Well, he wasn't in the first one. He okay. was only in the third. So that doesn't was he make ever count. in a sequel? Yes, he was, actually. Uh, he was in Shadow Warriors 2. There you go. So step off. So, but this did happen. I will step say before to defend uh, to defend Russo, which you know I'm not a fan of doing. It did happen. That was a sequel to like a 1997 movie. Mm-hmm. I think Shadow Warriors was. So how about that? There would be a part two to this feud. Just two months later, Yokozuna humiliated a now 40 plus year old. Oh, 40 plus years old. God help us. What is he? John Cena, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> thus becoming a two-time World Wrestling Federation champion. True, Hogan will tell you that a photographer's flashbulb went off in his eyes, but... So would the booking committee. (laughs) So would videotape. You don't need Hogan to tell you that. So would the magazine coverage of of the fucking show. Just a year ago, in these pages. But, with all fair and love and wrestling, Hogan was champion again. The Yoko bonsai splash at the end of that war deflated Hulkamania forever. He didn't hit the bonsai splash on him. Many had tried to kill the yes, legend. Yes, he did at the end of the, show, no. after the match. No, he didn't. He hit him with a leg drop. No, but after the <sighs> match. All right, look, I'm glad you're doing this. I'm glad you're correcting the record. It's important because here I am. I'm coming with, a, with an animus here. I'm coming with a bias. I'm trying to find holes in this thing, and you're not letting me do it. I won't let you do it. And that's important. That's important. I appreciate it. In my truest heart, I appreciate it. Many had tried to kill the legend, but many couldn't. However, Yokozuna did. Yes, you will see Hulk Hogan wrestle again. And yes, he will win again. But the Hulkster, as we once knew him, is gone. 
break out the bugle and start playing taps. The last we heard of Hulk Hogan, he had popped up in another wrestling federation in which the talent was a far cry from that of the World Wrestling Federation. I, I, want, I want to clarify. So the, the movie, the, t- the title's been changed oh. to Shadow Warriors. It's The original one is called Assault on Devil's Island now. I remember that, yes. And then the, the, the sequel, where he plays uh, Mike McBride again, uh, which used to be called Shadow Warriors 2, is now called Assault on Death Mountain. Oh. Both featuring Shannon Tweed and Carl Weathers. And Martin Cove. Oh, actually. Really? Martin Cove. God fucking love him. <laughs> Hold on. You know Martin Cove. You know I, who he is. As soon as I see his face, I will. Yeah, you'll see when you see him. You, yeah. Martin Cove. Sounds like a Saturday morning jobber. <laughs> Martin Cove. <laughs> Oh you know my John, oh, come on. The guy from Credit Kid. Of yeah. course. Martin Cove. He's fucking John Kreese. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen. In uh Martin Cove. Look 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 at if you look at his IMDB, yeah. Martin Cove has got let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, <laughs> nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve movies that are upcoming that have either been completed or in, or are in post-production or are filming right now. As we speak. As we speak. What a beast. Martin Cove, and he's got one, two, three, four, five <laughs> more in pre-production or announced. Like, this guy's a fucking beast. I mean, Look at he, all the work he does. You just said it. You just said it. You just said, Martin Cove. <laughs> and I think that's what we need to keep it in mind. <laughs> just that essential coveness. All right. So, the last we heard of Hulk Hogan, he had Take popped a nap up in the cove. In another wrestling federation in which oh my the ta- God. talent was a far cry from that of the World Wrestling Federation. Flair. Hogan decided to sign with a federation. Benoit. Is, Arn. Yeah. Benoit, who they were actually talking to around this point in time. Uh, Arn, who wrestled for them not too long ago. Well, that, so did Flair. I mean, more recently and at a top level. Hogan decided to sign with a federation that is composed of a slew of ex-World Wrestling Federation athletes, or to put it more bluntly, aging wrestlers in the twilight of their careers. It was evident that Hulk could no longer compete with the mighty Yokozuna or with the majority of the young talent the federation had to offer. You know you know it's fake, right? Oh, my God. Oh, you he know, certainly like the only does. Reason, I mean, of all fucking people. It's a piece of know. tin, bro. It's a piece of tin. You don't need a ring to tell stories. And you don't need stories to tell a ring. As a matter of you don't need stories to visualize ring work. I don't know what that means. It sounds like someone spoke up at a meeting, but didn't really have their shit together. Guys, look. Hey, you know, look. Can we can we can we just break it down for a moment, please? Okay, let's just be real for a second. You don't need stories to visualize a fucking ring. Okay. Batters and get in here. <laughs> What's up, boss? Do we really need to be here till 4 a.m.? Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> you hired him. He used to write for all my children. No, I wanted a, a writer from all in the family. Oh. Not all my children. All in the family. Oh, Johnny. God damn it. Johnny Ace got the wrong guy again. Huh? What you, know, you know it was you, asshole. You did the same thing what with I... the one-legged wrestler. What? Jesus Christ, you just got to read the fine print. What if... Print of what? You you what got happened? you got this fucking writer from One Life 
what is it? All my children. He oh, wanted my Vince wanted somebody from all under family. That's Big what I got. Under gimmick. All my family. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, I, yeah, you married. <laughs> you married into the Bellas. All your family is every what? fucking where I look. Look, what happened? <laughs> Just told you, Johnny. But I got the right guy. No, what we're telling you is you got the wrong guy. How? I. We asked for somebody who had experienced. And I got one of the all shows. I, I found somebody from all that. I got, I got all in. <laughs> oh, they all say. Oh, a lot of grumbling under their breath at Vince's dinner table on that one. Ace, get the fuck out. Get the fuck out right now before I eat you alive. Oh, boss, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it, boss. I'm going to fucking chop your arms off. I'm going to eat them right now. Get the fuck out. Linda will okay. we'll, Linda will see you out. So he opens the door. He shuts the door. This is like right. 3.30 in the morning in Connecticut. You can see the, the moths at the, the yeah. light outside the door. He shuts the door. Johnny Ace then stands in front of the door and then calls Vince on his cell phone looking at the door. Go ahead. Hello? Yeah. Go ahead. Boss, look. I know I did right. I did what I had to do. Ace, I don't even know what the fuck that means. Did what you had to do. I needed you to fucking... Did, look, I'm sorry. I'm real fucking sorry. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> look, I did my best. I'm like, well, you got to call Randy Savage to figure out why you're here. He knows why you're here. Yeah, Randy said that he knows why you're here, and it's fantastic. Oh, well, that's nice of Randy. <laughs> I don't get it. Look, I, I did what I had to do. I did what I... I don't... I don't know. Yeah, I know you don't know. I know you don't fucking know. You called me from why my own porch to me, tell me you don't know. Me you, don't, you, know you don't know something. Well, I just needed someone to talk to. I figured I'd call you, boss. Figure again. And get fucked and die. <laughs> okay. Thanks. <laughs> That's all I needed to hear. Get fucked and die. At least it's unambiguous. He, you know, he's willing yeah. to be rejected. He just doesn't want to um, deprive himself of the opportunity to maybe recapture the momentum. You know, he wants a nice clear signal to get lost. And he got it. So he went home and had a, um, a TV dinner. And a Hot Pocket. <laughs> um, I love yeah. Hot Pockets. <laughs> an hour later. He's got like an infomercial on because it's 4.15 in the morning. Bring. Yeah. The fuck's calling me now? Hey, boss, have you tried the pepperoni and cheese Hot Pocket? No, Johnny, I haven't. I'm not a real big fan <laughs> of the Hot Pocket. All the while, he's asking if you're a fan of the pepperoni and cheese Hot Pocket, and I'm looking at these pictures of Yokozuna in the magazine. 
He got a hot pocket right there near his uh, like, armpit. <laughs> he stores a few in his fucking tights. You gotta try the pepperoni and cheese, boss. It's 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 to die for. I wish you'd die four times now. Stop calling me. I don't <laughs> I don't need you. <laughs> I wish you'd die four times now. Okay, it's to die for. Die for. I wish you would die four times now. How can you do f- something four times now? You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> they're necessarily going to be in sequence. You can only do one thing now. <clears throat> Back to Russo. <laughs> A much better uh, uh, human. <laughs> Uh, As a matter of fact, during his brief two-month reign as champion, Hulk repeatedly refused to give a hungry Bret the Hitman Hart a shot at the World Wrestling Federation title. Ooh, shots fired. But what about the Hitman, Bret Hart, you ask? What about him? Granted, he did beat Yokozuna at WrestleMania 10 with the help of a faulty ring rope. And granted, he does match up to Godzilla Zuna better than Hulk ever did. But when the time comes, and it will... He matches up to Yokozuna? Really? Hmm. Better than Hogan? Like How? I mean, Hogan weighs like 60 pounds heavier than Brett. So how does he... Anyway, whatever. Can he defeat Yokozuna again? Let me put it to you this way. Will the Academy be recognizing Mr. Nanny when presenting its annual awards? Somehow, I don't think so. Strange Ooh, burn. But that's... I mean, also... I mean, Russo, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Mr. Nanny came out in 1993, and therefore the Academy Awards would have come out and uh, would have been awarded in like February or March of 1994. So, And I believe he was shooting Mr. Nanny uh, while under WWF employ, and in fact, right. left after WrestleMania 8 to pursue said project while under WWF auspices. So, I don't see what's, I don't get it. Yeah, if he's to be mocked for making Mr. Nanny after, he should also be made to mock... Be, no, the people who allowed him, or re, not allowed him, but sort of, yeah. uh, you know, employed him while he made Mr. Nanny also might deserve some derision. Anyway, that's all to highlight the psychology at play here in August 1994, that they were putting that in their own magazine a full year plus after the Yokozuna Hulk Hogan match. That's how much uh, the changing landscape WCW highlighting the Hulkster was getting to them. So, in terms of the kind of the rating situation, let's look at the July 11th, 1994 Raw, which featured the historically great Bret Hart versus 1-2-3 Kid Match Boss. We know that match. Yes, not we a, do. Not a joke. Great match. Did a 3.0 rating. On July 25th, it did a 3.4 rating, which was one of the best ratings uh, in the short history of the program up to that point in time. And the August 1st Raw, which we'll be talking about today, uh, did a 3.3 rating. So... Very, very good stuff. Um, and a time when every other business metric, as Dave Meltzer notes, seems to be declining. Mm-hmm. Um, syndicated ratings are down. House show business is uh, approaching all-time lows. Pay-per-views are doing very low buy rates. But still, interest on a Monday night, if you're showing me raw. And yeah. I, probably has something to do with the fact that it's an hour. I don't know. Just saying. 
and um, it's still there. There's still uh, interest in what's happening from week to week from a watching television standpoint, even though this time period is remembered for the doldrums. But they also sold out the United Center in Chicago for SummerSlam. Yes, it did. That was the first event in the brand new United Center in the Windy City, uh, presented by Domino's Pizza. So there's a lot of um, window dressing in this time period that indicates that things are quite strong, though the underlying factors aren't so much, and right. crowds are kind of scarce. So uh, that's kind of the backdrop to what we're coming in on. The show also notable for kind of the first interview since Bob Backlund's memorable heel turn oh in 1984. God. Thoughts on this, boss? I mean, this was so weird because he's so subdued. And I don't remember him being so subdued after I know. that crazy snappage. Yep, he wrestled Bret Hart for about 30 minutes on Superstars, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a crazy match. It was on Superstars, and then he lost the match and then snapped. I remember that moment so well. Yep. I was horrified. Yeah, because he horrified. was still playing the you know, Navy Trunks, Bob Backlund from 1982 coming back, making an honest run at it. Um, babyface, and um, they set it up as like a new generation versus prior generation matchup, and Brett, he gave Brett all he could handle, but Brett pulled out the victory, and afterwards Brett extended his hand in a show of respect, and Bob flipped him over and put the chicken wing on him. And everybody was wondering, what the hell is that? Bob Backlund uh, had the idea for the character, he says, watching Rush Limbaugh on television one week. Rush Limbaugh, of course, was at his absolute apex and apex during mm-hmm. the uh, Clinton administration and the moral majority movement in the Congress and the kind of resurgence of the conservative movement. And so he was on there, according to Bob Backlund, just listening to a caller complain about her life on his radio show and just cut her off at one point and went in on her about how she's not accepting responsibility for her own shortcomings and needs to clean up her morals. And that kind of connected to some truly held beliefs Bob Backlund had. He's about as straight-laced mm-hmm. a character as they come the most yeah. white-bred Minnesota guy, I think, to ever step foot in a wrestling ring. And uh, he actually felt kind well, of that I don't way. know about that. I'm not so sure about that. Oh, Vern, that, that's, that's, a, that's a positively olive complexion you have there, Vern. <laughs> no, I'm very Caucasian. Been born and bred. Mm-hmm. Born in white bread. Mm-hmm. I love how you just, you know, you just sort of, hmm? matter of fact, always very relaxed, always very focused. Always. Vern. Yep. Yeah, I got no problem. No problem with anybody. And look, I'm just here to do my job. Just happen to be the best of my job. And uh, <laughs> you know, if uh, you know, I just, I just, uh, I'm, I'm just a good old, a good old uh, boy of the neighborhood. What did you think of Bob Backlund's heel turn, Vern? Was it basically Vern Gagne turning heel in some ways? Oh no, actually, what I really think, based on the time the things that were going on there, I think I don't think there was a heel turn. I think that. Uh, Yep. That uh, Bob Backlund was just fighting for something that he believed was to be the right, in the right, of the right. Yeah, of the right. Yeah, okay. yeah of the right, okay. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for, oh. thanks for weighing in, Vern. Appreciate well, it. That's what I like to do. I like to make sure everyone understands where everyone's coming from. <laughs> yeah, that's your legacy, all right. <laughs> What's for dinner, by the way? Chops, baby. What kind of chops? What kind of meat? Well, get some nice pork, get some oh. lamb. I'm ready to, to get fucked and <laughs> Okay. Get saucy. Yeah? You know what I mean? Mrs. Gagne going to pay the price mm. tonight? She always does. Yeah? Just, you know, there's that, that, that Ray Trailer character, you know, she's going to serve some hard time. Hey, how is, how's that Asner doing anyway? 
When's the last time you talked to him? <laughs> well, you know, I haven't really talked to him since that fucker, you know, tanked my fucking movie. Oh, I didn't mean to talk on a sore spot. Here I am thinking you're calm, cool, and collected, and sure enough, I'm dragging no, I'm not, you into not, negative I'm not, I'm not energy. Yelling. I'm sorry I'm about not, that. I'm not out yelling, you know, but, uh, you know, sometimes some people bring up bring out some curses in my... In my uh, <laughs> I'm not yelling, but sometimes, language, you know, some people and, um, fucking suck, and... Uh, and sometimes there are people like Ed Asner who just fucking pricks, and they deserve to fucking die. <laughs> you know, like to just spread their legs and just kick them in the nuts a couple times, like Fritz used to do. Which is a good nut kicker. I like to fucking someone just grab a guy in the nuts and just fucking squeeze. <laughs> I'd like to, uh, you know, fucking. There's nothing funnier than someone trying to stay as folksy as possible, but still safe. It's like Mister Rogers saying "fucking" in the middle of his routine. It really is. That's fucking money. Fucking. I mean, that's the most, that word has the most utility of any in the English language. We know this. We accept this. People who think accept this. But my God, when somebody who is trying to present um, a buttoned up persona to the public uses fucking as like a transitory phrase, like a transition, basically, you know, an offhanded remark. There's no emphasis on it. Just fucking, uh, that's money. And that works. It's like Roosevelt up there, you know, on a, spe- a radio yes. speech, like, oh, nation, fucking needs. It's like, ask not. December 7th, 1942, <laughs> a date that will live in fucking infamy. <laughs> ask not what you can do for your country, what, what your country backwards. can do for you, but what your fucking. Ask what you can do for your fucking country. <laughs> You fucks. You bitch-ass fucks. Um, that, that's him. I can now retire from politics, having had happy birthday sung to me in such a sweet fucking way. I just came. Well, I don't mind telling you, I just ejaculated <laughs> right now. Is that Vern? Is Vern back? <laughs> Okay, so I'm thinking August 1st, 94, Raw. Kind of an offbeat choice. Yes. We'll talk about Vince. We'll talk about the absurdity. We'll talk about some of the bright spots. We'll talk about Hogan. Uh, did I th- expect 20 minutes on Vern Gagne? No, I can't say I did. I can't say I did. That was not at the top of the prediction list. Uh, sometimes I feel like we use a random generator to come up with topics on some of these fucking shows. So Bob Backlund, right? Uh, turns on Brett and then here is kind of his first interview on this August 1st edition of Monday Night Raw since turning uh, they just right. aired it the weekend before so he sits with Jerry Lawler and at that point as we'll talk about they're clearly crunched for time on a live broadcast so they're like rushing along the key lines of Bob Backlund's promo um, so it's kind of hard to make much out of out of it but as you pointed out boss you know the original look we got at the heel Bob Backlund while mm-hmm. certainly he snapped physically on Brett after the match he wasn't ranting, raving, wide-eyed, screaming, flailing. No. He's still kind of trying to keep the same cadence as the, the straight-laced shooter. Um, but he's but the words he's using and the things he's actually saying, you know, represent a uh, a divorce from reality. One might say. Yeah, I mean, it's just a weird. It, it, it's just a weird um, moment. Like, I mean, I didn't even write much down because it's just so. It's just so fucking 
I don't know. It's it, because of that of that of them rushing it along. Mm-hmm. Also, that night uh, on August first, they taped the next night's Raw for what it's worth with uh, a match they promote during the broadcast. IRS and Bam Bam Bigelow were kind of supposed to be the new Money Incorporated, managed by Ted DiBiase. Such a fucking joke. <laughs> were to face Doink and Tatanka. That's where we were at. That was the big promoted match for next week. Doink and Tatanka face yes. Bam Bam Bigelow in IRS. Raw. I mean, like, come on. Who the fuck's going to watch that? But that was enough. <laughs> you know what? It actually wasn't. But, I mean, I still, I still watch. But, man, oh, man. Some of those later shows were, like, some of those shows when they promote the fucking matches, it's always like, you know, Brooklyn, Bra- Brooklyn Brawler oh, will God. take on, will defend the... <laughs> We'll, we'll defend the honor of the streets against the funny man clown doink. Oh, right. It's like, like, like really? That's that's what I got to look forward to? Like, the promotion isn't of these matches that you want to see who wins. It's like character sketches, you know, in a video form. Right. Um, it's like these two entities are interesting in their own right. They're all, they'll be wrestling each other, but that's secondary. Here's what their characters are about. We so, are characters. Pretty much. And, you know, as much as they had the weekly television, uh, primetime television, or somewhat primetime television obligations back then, since launching Monday Night Raw in January 1993, they still kind of had that legacy of not putting much of tremendous value on free television. Yeah. Uh, Nitro had yet to launch as a year from launching, so they're not feeling that direct Monday Night competition and pressure, though certainly as we documented, WCW is exerting pressure in other ways. Uh, on them, particularly in the pay-per-view side of the business, but it's uh, it's still interesting how they still basically try to get away with giving you as little as possible in terms of wattage yeah. sharp power, which is why the Shawn Michaels Razor Ramon match on this show, boss, is rather remarkable for 1994. That you get that, that get that WrestleMania ladder match rematch right yeah. here on Raw, and Shawn Michaels really return uh, to the ring after taking off most of 1994 after that match uh, and doing the what did he do? The Heartbreak Hotel talk show. Yep. And he basically yep. became Diesel's manager, right? Yeah, he kind of. Yeah, he went by when uh, after um, after Nash won the Intercontinental Title, uh, Michaels became the manager for a little while. Mm-hmm. And um, entirely clear the full slate of reasons that Michaels was kind of iced for all this time. Uh, he definitely had some injuries. He was healing up, and he also says in his book that essentially he thought that this was the time for him to make himself scarce and take the momentum that he built off of that tremendous match at WrestleMania to kind of make him a marquee attraction, somebody that you can only see uh, sparingly. He remembered uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper doing that particularly well when he captured the, the spotlight, uh, making him seeing him wrestle be a, a rare thing. So, I don't know, it sounds like perhaps bullshit, but Sean had the kind of style where he would kill himself every match he had. So he would need time to heal uh, between matches more so than your typical guy, which was always a big knock Bret Hart had on on Sean that while he might be able to do just outrageously incredible feats of uh, spectacle with the bumps that he would take and the pace he would keep, he would also have to uh, not be able to make the next several shots as a result of emptying the chamber every time. We do see that definitely in this match against Razor Ramon. Important also to note that the click, what we'd come to know as the click, is starting to calcify here in 1994. Yes, it is. You know, uh, Diesel's in. They paired him with Sean. They're becoming friends. Razor's the there. Yep. Someone 
Sean had known all the way back since the AWA days in 85, but is developing a closer bond with. Kid had just come in, um, and been around about a year now, so he's he's about to get friendly with them, and the reign of terror is about to begin. And you see it. I mean, when you see Sean versus Razor with Diesel at ringside, and they're building Razor and Diesel for the strap at SummerSlam, in a couple of weeks, Sean and Diesel are going to be the head stringers to become WWF Tag Team Champions. That's right. You're starting to see. It's starting to happen. There's just yes, like totally four, is. four guys who just want to work with each other every night and fuck everybody else. That's where we're headed right now. This is the uh, beginning stages of that. So that's a rather interesting point in time. And so that's uh, that's most of the notes here in terms of setting the stage. Mm. Um, Bull Nakano also comes in. This is... Yes. This is the first the, awakening the revolution right here. <laughs> right. This is the first time they were like, hell, why don't we present these women as wrestlers instead of something else? And, uh, instead of objects. Instead of objects. Um, foreign objects, in Bull Nakano's case. That's a good point. And they just signed her. I think she had made her debut. Are there any domestic objects? Um, like, Is there any cheating weapon that could be, could be labeled a domestic object? I don't know. Uh what would that look like? Uh, I mean, why aren't brass knuckles domestic objects? <laughs> well, they're, they could be very well made domestically. I don't know the answer to that question. A, a domestic object would be a cheeseburger, I would think. <laughs> um, like a, maybe, maybe the kitchen sink is a domestic object. It, it, could, it could be. Uh, I think they have kitchen sinks everywhere. Yeah. So that is the table set for this edition of Monday Night Raw in 1994. Mm -hmm. And it's as good a time as any to remind folks, I think here, boss, that if they want to put their money where their mouth is, the option remains open. Yes, Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the lapsed fan. Don't just consume. Don't just enjoy. We know you're doing it and you ought to be paying. A little something. Sometimes you got to pay for that meal when you eat out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no shit, huh? Especially when you're being eaten out by your co-chairman. That's right. Ooh. And uh, there's no shortage of options for you. So um, you want to be back in the queue because, man, you know, we worked our tails off at WrestleMania bringing you that one-of-a-kind perspective on the ground in New York. Oh. And we'll be back on the ground at another wrestling extravaganza coming up Memorial Day weekend is part of StarCast 2 in Las Vegas. Your co-chairman to take the stage on Sunday at the Tuscany Suites. Sunday morning right. at 9 a.m. Pacific yes. time, ladies and gentlemen. So that you know, we have confirmed our time. We will be on that stage. And, boss, maybe we'll bring the bagels. What do you say? Maybe we should. Maybe we should bring bagels and uh, biceps and bullshit. <laughs> who, who will supply the biceps? That won't be me. Not me. Um, I'm, I'm gonna I can little... provide the bullshit, that's for sure. If you're going to be there uh, at StarCast and you plan yeah. on joining us on Sunday morning, I would act, and you're a local and you kind of understand the lay of the land out there, please reach out to us, thelapsedfan at gmail.com. I'm starting to think it might be a good idea to find a bagel place it's true. near Tuscany that will cater and that will deliver a shitload of bagels yeah. to us. Um, you know, And maybe we'll, biceps, too. Maybe they'll cater some biceps. <laughs> well, we know we can find those on the Strip. That's true. We'll find those at StarCast for sure. But uh, yeah, we'll just have a table of bagels. We'll have Scott Steiner. And then we'll, well, then we'll have Scott Steiner for both bullshit and biceps, I suppose. That's it. That's it. But uh, yeah, see if you can help us out. We'd love to enlist somebody that knows 
what place might be good and put them in charge of it, give them the money for it, and uh, and get those delivered. Um, we can yeah. do it ourselves, but we don't, I don't know. I feel like that might be uh, better handled by somebody that knows yeah. what's good and what's and what's happening down in Vegas. Logical. I've been there in a long time. So we'd like to make it a, a a bagels biceps bullshit event because they put us on so early in the morning. But yeah, um, you know. If you can't be in Vegas, if you're with us on Patreon, we'll be delivering dispatches as only we can. You'll feel you know, like you were there through these only set of eyes that really matter when push comes to shove. You know, it's great that they always do these. They do these things, and they they um they show you the events on fight. That's all great and all that. But what's really great is when you can get the truth and the behind the scenes aspect yes. that only we will provide you. Because I don't know how many people, I don't know how many podcasts, if any, were doing what we were doing at the first Starcast, and this one, I'm sure, just promises to be more of that shit. And um, you know, finding reasons to go as far away from Starcast as we possibly can, <laughs> and, and then to come back and interview clowns like fucking uh, 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 Kevin Sullivan. Yes, and, we were uh, able to talk to him and Bill Apter. We talked to Dr. D. Yeah, David Schultz. Yeah, and these right. were all just like spontaneous happenstances. You know, there's yes. no, there's nothing pre-cooked, pre-scheduled. We're not looking to make a production no. out of anything or bring anybody under the tent or slap anybody's back. We're just looking to be your eyes and ears and um, be what we've always been since day one on the show. That guy that you wished you had next to you when you watched pro wrestling. That's right. Or took in... Uh, pro wrestling in person, be it a convention or a show. And uh, we'll be proud to be there and excited to, to meet fans and present mm -hmm. uh, the latest Laps Fan Live show again Sunday morning, 9 a.m. Pacific time. It'll be on Fight TV and at the Tuscany Suites uh, Podcast Movement main stage uh, in and, Las uh, Vegas. And hopefully, hopefully, at some point, hit up that golden steer. That golden steer. Oh. Gonna get that fucking filet. What, no, what's on the my, menu out my there? My T-bone. Yes. My T-bone steak with that fucking we need to invite Caesar Taz. salad. That Caesar salad. <laughs> with that C the Caesar salad they make at the fucking table. Mm. And, uh, we can't of course, wait. We're going to be in that area, too. We will. Maybe we'll be able to see the parking lot where WrestleMania 9 was set up. Here we go. Caesar's Palace, which will be a lot of the, um, the main stage shows as part of StarCast 3 at Caesar's Palace featuring... Luminaries like Ric Flair and Bret Hart and Arn Anderson, JR, go. and so many more. So be with us, please. Uh, we'd love to see you in Las Vegas if you're coming out for StarCast. Um, but again, if you can't be there, or even if you can, what the fuck, right? Patreon.com slash elapsed fan. Uh, graduate past the stage uh, where good content is for free um, and is expected to be free. Uh, be ahead of the curve. Is it, you know, pretty, like I've said several times, give it three, four years. Any podcast you like, you're going to have to pay a little bit for anyway. So get used to it with your co-chairs. Uh, let us be the person that um, you go into that brave new world with hand in hand. Uh, $10 tier, $3.16 tier, and a dollar tier. Of course, $10 tier gets you at the front of the line, VIP style. First dibs on whatever audio we release exclusively on the platform, including our monthly WWE Network pay-per-view live calls as we That's sharpen right. the blade and the argument of why it used to be better by engaging with the current product. Uh, so as to not be accused of not being up to date on what it looks and feels like today uh, when we make the we case. We have one coming up, right? On fucking May 19th, right? We do. Oh, you want to you you <laughs> satiate uh, that need? Money in the Bank coming up for 2019. Your co-chairman will be in pole position. 
uh, delivering the perspective that you need, the perspective that you feel yourself craving every time a WWE show ends. We're there. Uh, so be there as well. Also, connecting the spots continues as we go chronologically through the hidden gem section. By the way, are they fucking stupid? Are they fucking stupid? They being? They're, WWE, they're putting on their final, they're putting on a fucking pay-per-view on the same night as the as the finale for, for Game of Thrones. Good point. I got to fucking suck through that shit and I can't watch Game of Thrones? Fuck well, you know what they're doing is with their, their, they had to move up the Money in the Bank show. Uh, to put something with some marquee value before Double or Nothing. They weren't going to just seed the month of May uh, to the AEW folks. So they're really trying to crowd them out by loading up Money in the Bank and moving Money in the Bank for the first time uh, to um, to May. So, But that's a good point. I mean, what they're doing is trying to go the weekend before uh, Double or Nothing. That's what they're trying to do. Why don't you make people, why don't you do what you used to and make people choose? Oh, just go on a Saturday night? Yeah. That would take some nuts. They should do, do it. it. So they should have done. Absolutely, they should do it. Now I got to fucking suffer through. Now what? I got to fucking watch this shit and miss Game of Thrones and have to fucking watch it before Monday morning. Yes. Because then everyone's going to fucking talk about it. See, I'm already pissed. I'm throwing shit. <laughs> I know. That, I'm actually cranky about it and I didn't even realize it. Oh, well. Hey, that's uh, that's that's what we do for you. Don't ever say we don't sacrifice for you. And don't ever say that this money doesn't go back into the cast. Just let's let's put it to you that way for now. Um, so patreon.com slash lapsedfan. Prove that you love us. Prove that you're worthy of hearing us. And uh, no shortage of folks since we last were with you realized that, came to that realization, swallowed their pride. Uh, Will Nelson is among them. Uh, he writes, Dearest co-chairs, I've been waiting to send you a message for some time, and now, after finally doing the right thing and tithing to that fucking cast, I feel able to submit this missive for your consideration. I began to listen last summer, while in the midst of relocating from Lancaster to Manchester. My job as a teacher of work reality, drama, in colleges and universities is not particularly valued in the economy of the UK at the moment, and so I am frequently having to pack up and move to a new territory. Although in my previous role, I taught drama to a guy who is now one half of the NXT Tag Team Champions at the time of writing. I'm a twice-lapsed fan from the northwest of England. I enjoy similar fandom moments to the boss. My earliest memory of the product is seeing the 1991 Survivor Series in Tuesday in Texas on Sky Sports, and was initially a fan of the British Bulldog, of course, and had no time for either Hogan or Bret Hart. The peak of my first run came early with the 1992 Royal Rumble. I still maintain the best match and best call ever, despite the illogical finishes detailed in your Invasion 92 deep dive. I kept with the WWF through the 94 Rumble, where I lost patience after the double Luger Hart win, not caring about either of them. I returned during the Attitude Era, as so many did. Who Rev- did you care about then? Honestly. Uh, like, British Bulldog. That's all I detect. He wasn't there yet. Uh, he wasn't back. Yeah. wasn't back till, uh, till the SummerSlam after this show. I can't tell. Maybe Yokozuna. Maybe he read the Vince maybe, Russo maybe article. He, well, that didn't come out yet. <laughs> Should have. That's the best it, Yokozuna article, and they ran it a year after he fucking lost the belt. Well, uh, a year after he fucking mattered. Yeah, after he mattered. Yeah, well, let's wait until he's totally gone before highlighting his accomplishments. <laughs> I returned during the Attitude Era, so many did, reveling in the new adult-oriented themes, orientated themes. As a 17-year-old, what more could you want than swearing blood and tits on a Friday night when we got raw? And introduced my younger brother to the classic era of VHS. I, I, I really, I'll tell you, during during my high school years, I really couldn't go out that Friday without tits. 
<laughs> needed tits on Friday. That's pretty much why I was or going to the mall. I never succeeded, but that's why I was going to the mall, if I'm honest. That's right. You wanted tits. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting uh, Dairy Lee? Queen instead. <laughs> TCBY. And, Most uh, tits I got at the, mall, at the mall during my high school years was at Victoria's Secret just looking at the lingerie. <laughs> Went home with a, a CD from Tower Records and... Uh, that was my Friday night. You better. Oh, those are the days. Give me mm-hmm. some fucking Tower Records. Feel. I want you to feel the this that that little tear on the CD cellophane. Then you just start ripping it all around the edges. Oh. Crack that open. That smell. Whatever is in a CD case, the plastic, or whatever. That smell wafts out. I'm trying to fucking trying to fucking push that middle thing so that yes. the fucking disc won't come out. You almost break it. Mm-hmm. You You're so the eager. Book. You're you so the needy to fucking hear it. Hear the songs. Hear the music. Now you're sick of it before you can even load the stream. Now I don't want a whole fucking CD. I want a song that I can that I'm not going to buy That's that right. I'm going to rip off of YouTube. That's right. What a great world we live in, huh? What a what a bunch of what a bunch of troglodyte morons we are for suggesting that you might want to pay for digital content like yeah. you paid for any other kind of content before everything became digital and plastic and stupid and silly and before everything pinged and shit and when you actually had barriers to entry so that quality was the only thing that received a platform instead of the amassing of mediocrity so as to sell that audience yes. in ways that have zero transparency and 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 and, and, and almost exclusively to the benefit of those who control the pipes and not those who are feeding the pipes come on now folks it's about time to uh, wake mm. up in that regard but again, by invasion in the subsequent Survivor series, I became lapsed again, having no more hoots to give about the McMahon soap opera. He still tries to get me to watch the new stuff, and I sat through this year's rumble, even though it was boring my arse off. We still occasionally work matches on Day of Reckoning on the GameCube. No wow. Having access to no mercy. That's huge. Day of Reckoning. Was there anything good on I don't remember Day of Reckoning at all? I don't remember was GameCube hardly. I, mean, I know what it looks like. I, I can picture it right now, but they had the Is mini it? discs, didn't they? I don't remember the small CDs. I think so. Yeah, I think I remember it being a big deal because I wasn't Nintendo like so mm-hmm. opposed to disc, like they wanted yeah. to remain cartridge based. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that. I remember it being a departure for Nintendo, and maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Shit, I remember 3DO. You want to get started? What about the Jaguar? The 64-bit revolution. Jesus. My fandom returned last year when I decided to undertake a new research project. And after having my fandom reawakened by another podcast, The Rest of the Review, decided to look at wrestling as a branch of theatrical performance. Yes, Barth and Brecht are important here. Yes. And rediscovered all the old shows through the network. Where this research will take me, I don't know, but I am now working on a one-act play waiting in line at a meet-and-greet, looking at the three different stages of my fa- any fandom. Yes. First, we have the current fans, those who still have optimism and genuine love for the object of their fandom. Next, we have the cynics, those who are focused on picking holes in everything and demonstrating their superior knowledge, smarks, essentially. And those who are a little older, who are still fans through nostalgia and the positive associations gained through their fandom and the knowledge that, like life, it used to be better. In closing, I offer some observations on past shows, one of which I've already brought up on Twitter, but bears repeating. Monsoons, no one has... Oh, here we go, boss. Mm-hmm. Monsoons, no one has drawn numbers one through five and been there at the end, call. In the 1992 Royal Rumble, I believe refers Don't to even the- bother. Don't even bother. Because it's not... Because, yet yeah, that's great. 
but he says it the previous year in the 91 Rumble. <laughs> he already says it. He says it's always hard for people that win draw one through five to be there in the end. He says it in 91. So come at me again. <laughs> come at me again. Up to that point, the earliest entrant who had been there at the end, that is once nope. all had entered, had been Rick Martell in nope. 1991 who entered nope, in number because six. because Rick Martell, he said it in 91. <laughs> Before Rick Martell entered. This is my Nash to you. It's one of them. You got a couple. I mean, when you do Pritchard, that just fucking makes me want to, makes me want to fucking just destroy my computer screen. No, Fucking take a hammer and destroy it. I grew up around Wigan, and though much beans on toast is consumed, <clears throat> I remember I, someone laced us with a brilliant image. Uh, it's It's obviously a Photoshop job, but it was like England without immigrants, and it showed like a row of food shops somewhere in England, in London, I suppose, and everything was just a beans-on-toast restaurant. That was it. That's <laughs> all anybody could sell you. And shepherd's pie, too, my, to be my fair. Favorite, my favorite, yes. My favorite part of any um, Billy Robinson moment is when you just randomly say Wigan. <laughs> he would say it. Beans-on-toast. <laughs> Win. The Billy Robinson story. <laughs> Next on Dark Side of the Ring. <coughs> oh, shit. The culinary delight most wrestlers of the 70s would have enjoyed would have been pies. <coughs> savory rather than sweet. I do I do love a meat pie. Yeah, me too. Mm. And not an Australian delicacy, though. The small ones. Is it? Well, yeah. French, too. Oh, hell yeah. There's a, there's a fucking um, in Lowell. There's a place my grandmother and I used to go called Vicks. Really? In Lowell. And they'd fucking, if you get one of their breakfasts, they give you like, you get eggs, you get the the toast and uh, <laughs> and the potatoes. But then you also get a fucking, a pork pie, a mini pork pie. Oh, they call God. it They call it a slice, but it's really a fucking mini personal pork pie. It's probably about, you know, three inches in diameter. And it is just fucking heavenly. <laughs> fucking heavenly. Love we used to go it. there every Thanksgiving. That's where my grandmother and I used to go. We'd is do that our right? Thanksgiving route. Yeah, we'd go, oh, we'd go to Vicks. And across the street was where we get the turkey. God. And we'd go to Vicks and get the, and get the fucking breakfast. My God. Talk about an adult thing to do for you, man. That's, what, that's the heart of life right there. That's it, man. Don't sleep on those moments. Miss, the, miss those days. Yep. Those are the traditions. All we have are traditions at the end of the day. Language oh, and traditions. Pie. That's it. Beans on toast. Oh, baby. Mm, Connected to this, Davy Boy Smith was often mocked for his pronunciation of certain words at school. Despite his being from Wigan himself, and both he and Billington had Wigan accents, you can have distinct accents and dialects in a 10-mile area here, he had picked up various Canadian turns of phrase, etc., for example, he should have called himself the British Bulldog rather than British. the British with D's Bulldog. The British Bulldog. I'm gonna get foot. Blackpool, where Stephen slash William. Can you imagine if you're like walking around there? It's like, hi, hi, I'm 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 JP. I'm the British Bulldog. And I'm fucked. Okay, sir, here, oh. here's 25 cents. 
thanks so get yourself a cup of coffee well yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go the other way but thanks sir for introducing yourself Hmm? horrifying Blackpool, where Stephen slash William slash Darren Regal hails from, is a shithole and can be quite a dangerous place. There are no docks to speak of, as it is more of a Victorian seaside town in Kearney Central. On this subject as well, one of the treats for British people of his lord, Regal character, is that he is playing upper class, but still clearly has a working class accent in idioms underneath, sunshine, slapper, etc. That's a fun little That is funny. I didn't realize that. I never thought about Anyway, I shall sign off now. I've been going through some financial hard times, Daddy, and only now am I able to do the right thing. 316 initially, but I will up it, as and when I can. You provide an excellent, hilarious, and informative service, and have sustained me for countless hours while I train for my first half marathon on the 19th of May. Good luck with that. Mm-hmm. I am no longer a fat piece of shit either, and I put this partly down to the coach hairs, driving me on through the winter, taking me out on the streets, and pounding me through the miles. Thank you for being fucked. Well, thank you, Will. I love that thought, that we're... Mm-hmm able to kind of take your mind off of the unpleasantness of hard tasks like getting on getting in shape we'll, we'll be that is what guys. i like to do yes you know please. if uh if you can like since since falling in love with podcasts i'm here to admit that i kind of look forward to shoveling the snow after a big storm because oh, yeah my god am i going to peel an hour and a half off of an audiobook or a podcast fuck yeah tell me yep. do you know how profound of a change in mood and attitude that is over 10 Mm -hmm. years ago oh i know that's where we come in yes you know and we don't just give you that quick blast so that anything that takes you longer than a half hour to do feels like a chore because the show's over no we're going to be there for the the real drudgery of life the things that nobody wants to do but if you don't do them life just gets harder and um and we're there to smooth that over and if you're not there at that point in your life yet, you don't know what we're talking about, A, savor these years, and B, when you get there, let, let your co-chairman yeah. uh, know we sent you on that. Will Winthrop, big-time big beast, long-time lapsed fan, up the pledge up to 20 bucks even though he didn't have to because he's got the nuts. He's ready to lead, not follow. David, welcome in to the lapsed fan solar system at the 316 tier. We appreciate it. Chris Brickland. We're glad to have you. Thanks for pledging. Justin Schiller, welcome in. Same to Benjamin Buck, a patron by the name of DP. I wonder what that could stand for, boss. It's Dallas. Up, up the pledge to 13 bucks, and um, we do deeply appreciate that. He writes, I had to up my monthly pledge because JP's Mega Powers impressions are so fucking good. <laughs> Thanks. Holy shit. What a world we live in, huh? Where we can flip the switch here record a show, come up with shit like that, and somebody can like it so much that they actually have the mechanism at hand to show their appreciation in dollar value. Isn't mm. that how it's supposed to work? Mm-hmm. We, you know, people who are doing creative stuff get paid if it resonates with the audience. I mean, that's, look, the tools are here. Patreon exists. Pay- PayPal exists. Yeah. The lapsed fan at gmail.com on PayPal if, you don't, if you're not a Patreon guy or gal. Kat Upshaw is a Patreon gal. <clears throat> she was um, a sterling solar system representative She's during the Madison beast. Square Garden tour. Um, She's a beast. Absolute beast. And upped her pledge. And why did she do it? I, I love this insight. Mm. Uh, from 10 to 15 bucks, she writes, I got a raise, so you guys get one too. Damn right. That's how it works, friends. You think about your co-chairs. 
I, I like to think we play a role in why she got a raise. Don't you like to think that, I like, Moss? I like to think that she went up to somebody and said, you trash. <laughs> and, wow. And played more? All right. Well, raise for you. And uh, we also appreciate guilt, right? Because yes. people who don't feel guilt, kind of shady, you know, kind of have to worry about them. Christian Bowersox isn't going to be that guy. He writes and says, Co-chairs, I want to apologize for letting my Patreon lapse for a bit. Hadn't realized it was happening. I hate knowing I was a freeloader, and I'm glad to be back in the good graces. Well, you are. Yes. Thanks for acknowledging the missteps, and you are hereby forgiven, but perhaps only temporarily. And while we're here, I do want to do something that I always intend to do and always forget to because we often get so wrapped up. I'm excited. Thank the patrons, boss, who are unsung heroes in a way in that we tend to acknowledge the newcomers to the table Mm -hmm. or people who have upped their table stakes week in and week out here at TLF. But there are patrons fans that if you listen to the show and you enjoy the show, even if you do pledge in the smaller denominations, you really have these folks to thank for subsidizing this operation. Mm. I mean, they've been, and in a lot of cases, they've been pledging even before we offered particular exclusive audio for different tier amounts. It was just a digital tip jar. If you liked what we were doing, give us money. And folks like Tom yeah. Atanasio. Oh, this guy. I mean, probably the big, Christ, biggest bro. swinging dick of the solar system. <laughs> Lifetime pledge of over $3,000 to that cast. He's the Virgil of the, of the solar system. These people are the absolute fucking gold-plated members you should aspire to be one of them one day if you have any respect for yourself. And uh, they deserve recognition on the reg. And I've been, I've shirked my responsibility, but do know that in our hearts, we always remember the folks that provide the very foundation Absolutely. for the funding base to do this thing and make it worth everybody's while and have a thing to point to when people are like, why do you spend so much time doing the podcast? Let me direct you to patreon.com and tell you fucking why. Let the market, if that's the only thing you believe in, in terms of demonstrate, fine. If that's your sole measurement of value, if that's your sole measurement of what's worth doing, fine. Look at how much is coming to the chairman for doing what we do and, and, and inspiring us to continue to do it. So Tom Atanasio, Mike Hornecker, he's, um, he's even higher. I mean, in some ways, while Tom pledges more than anybody else on a monthly basis, and is incredibly generous uh, mm-hmm. and just a tremendous fan all around. Mike Hornecker has got him beat in lifetime pledge amounts. Mike's been Ooh. there since he's a day, day one-ish, as they say. I think since 2015. So, Mike, we appreciate you. Uh, Danny Ankoivu, uh, meaty, meaty three-figure monthly pledge, because this isn't a fucking game, that's why. And a lifetime of over a grand. Who else is in the Grand Plus Club? Paul Ford, Beast Mode. Oh. Appreciate it. Pedro Rios, you're the fucking man. Jim Rocco, thank you. Brian Blake. These are the guys these are the guys who could stand up to Vader at a fucking Taco Bell. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Closing in that two grand. Brandon Castro, we appreciate it so deeply. Mm. Mark Mark Daper, tremendous. These are the one one K plus members. This is Harry uh, Harry This is Jonas Olson. This is Will Winthrop, who we just mentioned. Um who's given so much to that cast. Joshua Marbury, OG in the game as well, all the way back to April 2015, closing in on $1,600 lifetime pledged. I mean, you know, if it wasn't for these folks, this would not be worth doing. It's too much work. We've set too high a standard, and it takes 
too much of a hunk out of our lives and, and the family life. If, if these folks weren't here and if you folks weren't here to justify the other end of it, it just wouldn't make any sense. And there are a lot mm-hmm. of pod, wrestling podcasts that have fallen by the wayside over the years because of this pressure. Yeah. It builds, it builds, it builds. Your co-chairmen stare through it, we drop trow, and we deliver. <laughs> and it will continue. <laughs> so long as you continue pledging it. We will continue to pound. We will continue to penetrate. I think it's accurate. Forcibly if necessary. Forcibly anyway. Mm-hmm. Expect it. Need it. You don't need to want it, though. It's going to happen. <laughs> you do need to want it. Mm-mm. The lapsed fan. You won't need to want it. I like that a lot. <laughs> Boss, I just uh, put an email here in the window. I'd like you to read oh, this one because Got I think it. it's more directed at you than me. Oh, oh, I might boy. be wrong. And as we head into Starcast and Double or Nothing. <laughs> By the way, the- you know what's disappointing? Maybe, maybe, maybe the uh, maybe. Well, maybe, maybe. You know, we're not being uh, aired on fight. Do you know that? I, I just know found I this out. Oh, I just found this out on uh, hmm. on uh, on Twitter that we are not being aired on fight. Someone said that they're upset. Someone said they're all starting all their their broadcasting from 1 p.m. Okay. Starting at 1 p.m. And so we're early on in the morning. So they're not doing it. I wonder why we were put there. Maybe some people watched the show of last year and we're like, hmm. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I have the feeling uh, – that more <laughs> that it's going to be an even hotter ticket as a result of that decision than if uh, oh well enough was left alone. We'll see. We'll see. Your co-chairman. Well, I'm sure we'll find a way on fight anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We uh, certainly left an impression last time. So, <laughs> all right, um, all right. So here we go, <laughs> dear dear chairman. This. Is... <laughs> Who is it, boss? This is Hall. Kogan, brother. Yes. I'm 37 years old and have been a fan of the fake arts <laughs> since I was about eight. So I imagine that puts us all in that same sweet spot of the what? That's a how? How? I know the word. I can't think of how to pronounce it. Halcyon. 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 You got it. Halcyon. Thank you. Yep. I wasn't the valedictorian in case. No, you come on. Just... Give me a break. Because <laughs> I can pronounce Halcyon. <laughs> uh, actually, it's, it's funny. I'm, I know. Here we go again. Uh, there was there's one thing that I've always remembered to this day that you that you actually taught me the first that first semester we were in college, which was how you you told me that the 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 best way to get a, a better grade on a paper is to take 10 words in your paper and just do a thesaurus search and find some kind of synonym for it. <laughs> it's a more, it sounds like a more intelligent version of the same word. Well, yeah, more intelligent and also, I mean, you know, the key to good writing is it doesn't repeat itself, but it makes right. it makes a cohesive point. It makes it, right. it almost makes the same point over and over. <laughs> right, that's right. You can't right. make it sound that way. <clears throat> that's yeah. fucking funny. Uh, also, seems- if you want to get a good grade in a paper, listen very closely to the phraseology your professor uses and give it point. back to him or her so that they can feel justified. Their existence is justified if you memorize what they said and gave it back to that's them. That's a very good point. And if, you're, if your professor gives a lot of rhetorical questions, put in your, a lot of rhetorical questions in your paper. <laughs> Art? Oh. History? Oh, yeah. That's such a good paper. Said somebody. Um 
20, uh, the house run days of winning used to be better. That said, yes. I'm not lapsed. I enjoy non-existent talent and love new Japan. Non-existent talent is NXT translation. They haven't won me over yet. Um, what makes me somewhat rare, if not entirely unique to the solar system, is that I also genuinely enjoy the elite with I, no sense of irony. And are, I think there are plenty of people. Oh, yeah, I would interject there. I don't think there's any anything about our audience that dislikes by, by rote, by fiat, by rule, the elite. Not at all. Hardly. No, no, I just don't like it. Yeah. I just don't care. Like, again... I'm not a I'm not a fan of ironic wrestling <coughs> or ironic entertainment. Postmodern, that's different. I'm I'm totally. Are you, but are you a fan of entertaining irony? Is the question? Am I? Hmm. Ooh. <laughs> not to spark a uh, a paper. Yeah, that's a, spark a think piece. Ironic inter- ironic entertainment, or are you are you a fan of ironic entertainment, or are you entertaining irony? Hmm. Oh, that is a deep question. Um, they live with no sense of irony and, and are excited for what they bring to the table. Like you, I grew up on with Hogan, Savage, Warrior, Brett, Tyson, all the greats. <laughs> I'm glad you resisted it. <laughs> it would have been way too easy. But I feel my soul has been worn down <laughs> by aspects of this carny clown show and your masterful dive into WCCW. Accentual. <laughs> Why? Why? <clears throat> Fucking. Fucking Christ, it's coughing. I know You've I could have been use coughing the for months. Dude, I'll tell you, it's this it's this wacky weather. It's this like my allergies don't know what to do with themselves. Right. It's really what it is. Um and I will not hit the cough button. Go fuck yourselves. Yeah, you um go. you're gonna get it all real. <laughs> uh, now I know the boss man hates the elite, and that's totally fine. I don't hate the elite. No, you misunderstand people. I just I don't hate them. I just don't care. You don't listen. You never. If you listen to our show and you love our show, you don't ever have to feel guilty for liking something else. No, we don't give a shit. <laughs> it's that simple. And, and you also may be wrong. You may be, and fr- you have to accept that. <laughs> you know, there's that too. But I, I love that it's been happening since day one. It's mm-hmm. like, watch New Japan. You'll change your mind. It's like, guys, no. l- listen, listen. <laughs> New Japan has always been awesome. I did. I watched New Japan. I watched it live. I fell asleep. It's always been awesome. It's not the question here. The question here is what tone does the WWE product set for the discourse in pro wrestling? Like, the fact that people can thrive because they're the opposite of WWE, to me, to me, has more to do with the WWE than it does the person that's defining themselves as the opposite. If WWE was awesome... The opposite of WWE wouldn't be awesome by definition. Right. So I'm more interested in that side of the binary. And maybe that makes I me mean, lame. I mean, I watch everything as much as I can. So yeah. it's not like I'm unplugged from all this and, and pushing myself away from the table. I, I enjoy a lot more of the stuff than, than the boss does. But yeah. we're not going to um, pretend that something great. Because as soon as we start doing that, as soon as we start forcing ourselves to like things or forcing ourselves to see the merit in something no. that doesn't grab us on its own, we're compromising the whole fucking thing we're doing here. Because if you ask me, and, and, and this is not, this is, from what I've seen, it's just not 
I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm turning into one of those old farts. I, I've admitted it before. I'll admit it again. Today's wrestling is just not for me. It just isn't. I need something that is more resembling of a fight that has a good story leading up to it. Um, that's what I need. I, I hope that my, 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 my honest hope is that, is that AEW will create that challenge. Yep. Create your, the challenge. Your mind is that not will, close to it, but you're no, not, you're not going I wouldn't, to, you're going to make them come is, to you. You're not going to seek them. I want to be invested again. That's the pain of being a wrestling fan. That's right. Is that I want That's to right. be invested, but I'm not going to admit that something's good because it's better than what's bad. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Because that's not good enough for me. Beautiful. I need something that's going to make me and like want I've to said, watch. I, I swear to God, and I didn't expect this. This has been a surprise. But since we started doing the monthly pay-per-view reviews and everything like that, and Boss does not, you know, he doesn't catch Raw or SmackDown on a regular basis. He hardly ever watches it. He, I don't ever watch it. I haven't watched Raw and SmackDown. I mean, I, I don't remember the last time I actually watched a Raw. And let me tell you, as someone who does, when he watches those shows... With, with us here on Patreon. And what he picks up on is always dead on for what they should be accentuating and bringing to the fore that they're not for reasons that are just indecipherable or buried deep in Vince McMahon's psyche. Yeah. And sure enough, if, if, if they resonate with the boss on a, on, a, on, a, on a general brush, they could be characters that connect with audiences outside of who's watching. And that's, to me, that's the more valuable insight mm-hmm. is can you catch on to traits and characters that might catch people who are not, I repeat, are not watching wrestling now? There's that's only one guy. Play. There's only one guy you know who I get excited to watch. And that is Samoa Joe. That's right. He's a fucking animal. He's a fucking beast. <laughs> and he is an ass kicker. Mm-hmm. And he's the only person who I can believe in genuinely enjoy watching who I get excited about. I mean, yep. it's obvious. It's happened every fucking time. Yep. <clears throat> he's he's a different fucking character. He's he's the if you ask me, uh, uh, I'm not talking about in terms of of popularity and money making, but he's the Bruno Sammartino of this era, where he's the one guy who just it's a different it's a different fucking show when he's on, and he knows how to protect that about himself yeah. even when he's booked into oblivion, even when yeah. those characteristics. Yeah are being pushed down and snuffed out by yep. the framing of him as a character. He knows what it means to carry yourself as a badass in real life. Therefore, ergo, he knows how to carry himself as somebody to be reckoned with in the fake world of wrestling. But if you've never been that person outside the ring in a personal life before you were a wrestler, it's going to be very hard for you mm-hmm. to convey the traits that actually are money and actually yes. grab people's attention outside of who's already watching in the pro wrestling arena. Yeah. So continue here. <clears throat> now, oh yeah, so now I know that and that's totally fine. I get it. They're not for everyone, but then who gives a fuck what Ray Trailer thinks of Kenny Omega and the young fucks? I said fucks, and I will always call them young fucks. Also, isn't he dead? Anyway, I'm too old for pissing contests over who pretends to fight better or which billionaire I prefer, but there are things they do not appeal, they, they do that appeal to my sensibilities. That's fine, and your sensibilities are wrong, but that's okay. Right. Um, my favorite movie is RoboCop, starring WCW legend RoboCop. He is a WCW legend. 
Should be in the. I'm surprised they haven't fucking put him in the WWE Hall of Fame. They probably will. Um, they probably should. Uh, what did we? Did, I don't remember. I have to go back and look. But did we decide that it was actually Peter Weller, the actor who played RoboCop, who played RoboCop on the WCW show? Oh my god, I'm ashamed to say I don't know. If I don't remember. That down. I would consider it a personal failing if we didn't nail that down on that particular yeah. show. But that was a little bit before. You know, we took on such a strident, obsessive research bent on the show, so I'm not sure if we... I don't know. I mean, that was right after WrestleMania journey. We were pretty... My God. Research heavy. But My anyway, uh, I like that it's a self-aware, almost fourth-wall-breaking satire masquerading as an ultra-violent sci-fi action thriller, the movie. Um, but it works as both. I agree. One minute, a man drenched in toxic waste explodes when a car hits him, and the next is a fake car commercial. Perhaps my comparison isn't as apt as I originally thought. No, I think there's a lot of there's a lot to be said there about you know it's commentary on commercialism and um, I mean it, it is a I believe if I'm not mistaken that Paul Via, Paul Viehoven when he was making the story wanted to make the story of Jesus. Wow, he's making an allegory of the of the story of Jesus, hmm. and that RoboCop is Jesus. Wow, um, never knew that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, basically I enjoy when my fake violence sometimes winks and nods at me. Starship Troopers is fucking rad too. I agree. I think Starship Troopers is a brilliant fucking movie that is very underrated. Um, you know, it's, it's basically, it's basically an old, um, it's, it's, it's World War II. Yeah. From the Germans eyes. Yeah. You know, it's fucking great. Verhoeven is over with me, brother. You're damn right. This is fascinating because anyway, lo- <clears throat> he ex- he expects to be in conflict with you about it, and you're all and you're saying, "Yeah, I understand, and I agree that I like a little wink, wink in my entertainment." Yeah, I do. And I do I, like a little I, that. I, 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 I'm actually not as into that as you are, but he's making it seem like you're the one that's going to be coming I, for him. In it's contrast. funny. I don't like it in certain aspects. I don't mind it if it's done well. Well, if it's yeah. done in a way, you know, I mean, it's a very, it's a very fine line to cross and you have to like, it's, or to like to, to straddle, you know, I don't want it all to be wink, wink, but if you throw in a little wink here and there that not everyone's going to catch, but maybe I catch, I'm okay with that. Yeah. You make a good point. It's kind of like, know? it's kind of like how you can sneak those jokes for adults into the Pixar movies. Right. Exactly. But if you know? there's a joke in the Pixar movie that makes the kid go, what, what was that? What did it? No, they failed. Yeah. The point is to make a joke that, re- that registers it's have with two the meanings. kid it's on one, have two, two right. meanings. That's right. It can't just have one it's, meaning intended for one subset of the audience. Think of it like this movie Scream. I love Scream. It's one of my fucking favorite horror movies. And I, what's fun about Scream is how all the characters basically know they're in a horror movie. You know, they know the rules of horror movies. They know the, the rules of horror movies apply to their situation. That's the kind of wink I can get into. I mean, they don't come out and say it. That's the beauty of it. They don't say, oh, hey, look, we're all in a horror movie. No, but they're, but they basically say that the rules of horror movies are going to apply to our story. And that's funny to me and cool because it's also done, you know, it's done well because you've got people, you get a a strong mastermind behind it. I think, Um, I think of X factor here is there's a live audience in play. You can't you're talking about the you're talking about with wrestling X Pac and and uh, 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 A Train and oh X Factor X Factor. <laughs> I'm thinking live audience. Is that the name of that stable? <laughs> well, thank you. I got everything I ever wanted, but I never gave that back. 
Um, <laughs> you know, and so that's that's a little extra consideration there. Yeah. Because to me, what what's grading is when I feel like the performers in the ring are trying to establish a wink wink relationship, not with the people watching on TV, but with the people in the crowd. And so the crowd yeah. thirsts to be to be almost in a concentric circle of the spotlight. The crowd is trying to lean in a little too much. Right. And to me, that's not the magic of pro wrestling. I mean, it, I agree. it works for, it makes money and there's people that love it. And I'm not here to, to hate on that. I'm just going to let you know that I'm not going to pretend that that's what I want out of wrestling just because it's working. Right. And that's what I don't like is because to me, when you're involving, when you, tr- when you try to involve Basically, what they're what what that means that is to me is that you're trying to make all these fans feel like they're cool guys who know more than they know yeah. or who think they know more than they know. It's pandering, you know, and I, and I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Right. I want I want to get lost in the story, and if there's a a wink here and there, um, I'm trying to think of one from like a good period that 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 just kind of worked for me. Um, it, it it's okay, but. It can't be this. I, 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 fans. I think fans need to be drawn into the conflict, drawn into the story, and be prepared to watch a fight. Yeah. That's what wrestling is. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's very primal. It's very primal. And you have to kind of believe on some level that you're watching guys who, if there were no fans here, would show up for money to kick ass anyway. Like, it can't just be like what they do in the ring is a function of what the people in the audience dictate. It's got to be the other way around. The, the talent has to dictate to you what you care about. And if you don't care about it, the talent has to have enough self-confidence and ability to project. I don't give a shit if you like what I'm doing or not, you know, or, I'm, st- or I'm still they, handling I mean, my business. Yeah. But to a degree, but also, I mean the fan, you know, you know, there's also a part of listening to the fans that you have to do. Yeah, it's so subtle to me. It's like you have to know where the fans' minds are going just a minute before they do, and then you're yeah. a great yeah. wrestler. Again, it's you're on a. But if you're reacting to everything they're doing, <laughs> it's 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 a mind fuck. And I think part of the problem is once you start thinking this deeply about it, you're already missing the the fact that you know you're worrying about how to connect with people who are you, sitting there worrying about the fact how to that be a good wrestling watching. fan. <laughs> yeah, if you're worrying about how to be a good wrestling fan, it's a lost cause. You know, yes. it's like either the shit's working or it's not. Um, so anyway, continue. Um, there definitely goes be the okay. Uh, anyway, like you guys, I have tons of respect for guys like Brock and Jericho who are smart enough to work these fucking carny ghouls and beat them at their own bullshit. And I think that's pretty much what the elite are doing. Everyone thought they were going to be working for Vince, but here they are making a go of it. For now. For now, I mean, you know, Godspeed, all the best to them. But for now, you know, we've seen people. It's people were excited about TNA. You know, back when they were excited about TNA and then TNA tried to fight to, to fucking go head to head on Monday nights and it failed miserably. You but know? I want it. I want it to go well. 
I, I damn well want it to go well. Yep. I want the competition because you know what? The competition is the only thing that's going to make the product better. Yeah, especially Vince. Is having competition. So, like, I – but, you know, we, we've seen it before. We've just – we've seen it before. And, I, again, I hope these guys can do it. I, 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 I do question the, the – it, it's been so long. That's, that's pretty much the issue for me is that it's been so long. Do they really have that much of an audience that are going to watch a television product? Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited you to know? find out. Me too. Me I'm too. I'm excited to find out, but I'm not going to invest <clears throat> my ego in it succeeding. I mean, I'll tell you what. If they fucking do their first show at the Mall of America, I'll <laughs> tune in. That'd be a brilliant idea. It'd be fucking awesome if they did that. Um Time was successful, but I respect them for trying and put out put to put out a viable alternative. Plus, watching the obvious desperation from WWE recently, throwing fucking everything at the wall and hoping something sticks has been amusing. I will say that about them; they do seem a little bit more nervous than they did with with TNA. Absolutely, they well, they fucking they have they have they have reacted to the shit going on. Yes, without a doubt. Yeah, uh, and while the Bucks in ring style might not be. Might not quite be my tempo. I respect their business savvy and genuine connection to the fans. I, I'm sure. I I mean, sure, they definitely can. I can respect their business savvy. I I don't I don't respect their their connection to the fans because I don't respect <laughs> the fans who connect to them. But um, I just don't know why like wrestling fans concern themselves with the difference between liking something and appreciating it from a business angle. It's kind of right. weird. It's like. That's so wrestling, you know, because yeah. the success of wrestling is judged not on winning and losing games, but it's judged on making money. And so, like, wrestling fans kind of feel compelled to be like, even if you're not my favorite, I respect why people like you. And it's like, like who cares? Like, you don't, you know, if there's something about it you don't dig, that's your camp. Like, there's no reason to, like, qualify what you like and don't like about <clears throat> wrestling. There's so much, like... There's such an the, assumption that people give a shit about that level of detail about your fandom. and There's one thing you got to make me do, or one of two things, okay? One, and it's a hard thing to do because we've been so conditioned over the last nearly 20 years, is to make me question if something is real. Mm-hmm. Like a like a good uh, magician, yeah. Make, make me question it, or make me make me marvel at your ability yeah. to not figure out I mean, how I guess you did one that. Thing. Because like all all I want, like there have been two moments that have really drawn me in, where I've been at least I've gone back to YouTube and watched the bit that I can think of. <clears throat> Better, because there have been some that have been fun to watch, but there's some that I'm like, this is. This is what they should be doing. This is making me question: Are they? Are they? Have they broken character? Obviously, one like everybody else in the world was a fucking CM Punk promo. Everybody else did it. I fucking sucked into it too, and and it was exciting, and it made me want to watch. And then, and they fucked it up. Um, and then also that uh, the Miz Daniel Bryan thing that happened was that two years ago now. Yeah, see, that's yeah. what I mean. These things, ha- boss is not looking, seeking this stuff out. But if it lands in his lap, I'm telling you, it's for a reason. It's for a reason because there's something there that yep. got to him, that reached, yeah. that filtered out to him. You know what I mean? 
it's it's the damnest thing. It's like you, you can't even get that perspective unless you just straight up stop watching the television as far as yeah. what actually resonates. And nobody and, that we're is, is doing that. Nobody's doing that. They're lamenting that it's not as good as it used to be, but they're watching every week. And already, no. that's not who we're talking about. No, I, don't, I can't. Um, but, but, uh, and after the lamentable tragedy, I find their attitude toward their families to be not only refreshing, but I think I need it. Okay. Yeah, they're always broadcasting, you know, how family-oriented they are, which is cool. Yeah, great. They do their fucking story time. I remember I saw part of that. That was really awesome. Yeah, kind of don't... I don't really to watch, but... Kind of don't care about... Yeah, keep your fam- family. I, I got a better idea. Why don't you fucking keep your families private? I mean... It's weird because yeah. it kind of works to involve f- f- people in your lives like that. It would fucking but it you know, do it like it's... fucking Jason Biggs's wife does with with her kid, and they fucking put a face on on Instagram. Like, don't don't look at me. Don't don't look at my kid's face. Great, love it, awesome. Yeah, keep it up, man of that. Some <laughs> kid, not not because of like any snarky way, but like protect your kid. Um, yeah, you know, it's true. Exploit. It's a, it's a weird way you can exploit your kid and protect him at the same time. Um, look, it used to be better, and, and it will never be that good again. In fact, it can't. The world is too is too different place. I agree with you on that. Yeah, for sure. But as I get older, I struggle with certain questions. Was it better because partly because these guys were gassed up, drugged out, yes, and tropic blobs of walking yes. human wreckage? Yes. yes, that's why we feel guilty about it. Yeah, was part of it better? Was it was part of it better in part because? This future mass grave of miserable fucks and their bosses' fathers didn't give a shit about the damage done to themselves or the families. Yes, I think so. I think That's I think part of that. I think there's a way. There's a way to achieve the effects that that era achieved without yes. doing the same thing to these families and that off seasons the, and. Well, there's that, but also the biggest problem of all, the interweb. Yeah, I mean that is the biggest problem of them all. Everybody is smartened up. What made it fun was not knowing what was real and what was fake and them doing a damn good job of putting that question in my mind. Now, if some, if I question something, I can look it up on the internet. What happened here? And someone on Reddit saying, no, 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 I got word from this, da, da, da. And then they're like, oh, no, Meltzer said this, da, 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 da. Or, or somebody said this, no, that was fake, but that was real. And it's like, there's no mystique anymore. There's no questioning because we have all the answers at the in the palm of our hands, like literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's a challenge, and maybe he's right. I mean there is maybe there are barriers that can't be vaulted to why it used to be better. And you know that's the thing people misunderstand what we're doing here. We're not pointing out why it used to be better as a guide to improving things now. We're just pointing no. out why it used to be better. We're just focusing yep. on building that case. Not as a prescription for how to fix wrestling now. Yeah. It's almost if you're going to spend as much time as we do on figuring out precisely why it used to be better, you almost don't give a shit about whether the current wrestling ever gets any better or not. You're almost you're almost saying, well, I, that's not what it is about wrestling that excites me to talk about. And I'll right. be damned if every fucking hit wrestling podcast doesn't prove the point because it's about everything that happened twenty, thirty years ago. Yeah, no, I know. Continue. Not just talking about Fritz either. How many suicide attempts from Shane will it take to earn daddy's love? How many 25-minute disasters from Vince's real son must I endure before I feel compelled to throw myself off something high? Anyway, this email is long. Apologies, length, but Michaels. 
<laughs> if brevity is the soul of wit, then I am a witless fuck. <laughs> but what do you guys think about what AEW can potentially bring? Because personally, while my nostalgic heart yearns for the days when it when it was better, I'm not sure if my conscience can follow. You guys are best. Of course, you already know that. Keep keep doing the Warlord's work. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they can I, – I, I, I don't know enough about their product. I've only seen – one of their shows. Let me say it again. You can love AEW. You can love NXT. You can love New yeah. Japan. And you can love the lapsed fan. This isn't yes. a problem. This isn't a crisis. No. This isn't well, anything. Uh, it's a crisis. Uh, AEW, um, they could they could get two hours of weekly live primetime wrestling on a station. and do On com- TNT. Yeah. And do competitive ratings against the WWE, establish wrestlers that we know have very deep skill sets and talents as national stars, have the financing begin to build behind them and uh, uh, proliferate behind them that they can afford the top WWE guys when they come on market, and they could substantially cut into WWE's market share. They could take advantage, just sure. like WCW did in 95, 96, 97, of the fact that WWE is in a creative doldrum and having difficulty um, translating their creative decisions into tangible improvements in any particular business metrics beyond guaranteed television money, which is guaranteed not on the basis of how well they execute creatively, but on the basis of what they have done on an average weighted basis over the years uh, in terms of ratings. So that's what they can do. I want to see it. Because that's, listen, I'm on this planet to see people under pressure. (laughs) If people are not under pressure, they are hiding their true selves, and I am not interested in them. If they're not under pressure, they're lying. That's correct. That's correct. That's correct. Show me people under pressure, because that's when the learning happens. That's when you really get to the heart. That's when you explore more to yeah. expose the core. So if someone's the, coming with pressure, the the uh, deal me in the ripoff team with um the with uh fucking Wade Barrett, the core, the ripoff team. Yeah, they were the ripoff. Oh, the stable, team. the core, the core, the core. Yeah, is that how they say it? That's how I say it. The core. And finally, this week from the mailbag. Yes. Uh, Brian Blake, True Blue Lapsed fan. There we go. He got he went down a research rabbit hole on our discussion last week on the February 1992 Saturday night's main event. Oh, my God. The WrestleMania 8 main event. <laughs> what was it to be? We went back and forth and back and forth on it, trying to figure out why they would so strongly signal Hogan Flair while planning Hogan Justice all along. And uh, Brian did some deep dive research, and I commend him for it, including thinking of something I hadn't thought of, the fact that J.J. Dillon, because Patterson and Garvin, uh, Patterson in particular, yeah. had kind of been uh, given indefinite hiatuses or was fired during this exact time, J.J. Dillon ascended to basically Vince's right-hand man and was kind of right. a creative guiding force behind what got into the ring in I thought it was Pritchard. I thought Pritchard, Pritchard was always in the room. He was there. He's always in the room. He's always in the room. <laughs> including the movie The Room. <laughs> So here, um, coming off last week's show, mm. I think a nice little uh, compendium, if you felt like that was kind of a, a loose, unaddressed, unreconciled, 
question. I think Brian did mm. an excellent job congealing everything into. I also enjoyed. I mean, you, you, no one else witnessed this, but I did, and I was waiting. I was literally waiting for him to like to connect, but he 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 hadn't listened to the whole episode yet. And so he gave us the information about <laughs> about the the press conference and this and that, and it just like I didn't want to I didn't want to respond to him. I wanted to just keep listening. I wanted to keep listening, and then of course he realized that we did listen to the whole fucking press conference as yeah. we went along. And I was like, but he's a fucking trooper, and I was just like, I just wanted to wait. I just want to wait and see how this plays out. Yeah, more than anything, man. Like you talk about under pressure. I want to be under pressure to mm. get to the damn the closest thing to the fully reconciled truth we can get to in a business like this from available documentation. Yes. And if I'm missing something key as far as context, I consider it a huge success. If we do a show, we miss something, and the next show it's clarified, and we can file it away as a finding. Um, so please, if there's anything mm-hmm. we talk about that we make way too general assumptions about, or if we're missing something someone said or something someone wrote that should you know, counterweight yeah. How seriously, we take a particular bit of reportage or testimony. Let us know. Never be shy. We want to be wrong because then we'll be extra right. You know, That's right. We want you to come at us as hard as you can. We stand ready. Brian Blake. <clears throat> hey, co-chairs. I'm going back and listening to the lapsed savage not reading The Wrestling Observer around Hogan. And it's cracking me the fuck up right now. All right, as promised, here's my freestyle riff on why Sid versus Hogan headlined WrestleMania 8. Mm-hmm. Notwithstanding how in an April 1991 Observer, Meltzer mentions Hogan versus Sid for the next WrestleMania main event. That was something I failed to realize. I as, think you did, though, because I think you that's why it all came up. Uh, I wasn't looking at 91 Observers. No, I guess I guess it was Meltzer himself who said it on our show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely um, knew, said that he knew Sid was promised the Hulk Hogan main event when he came in. And then Sid tells a different story of almost like he was promised the Hulk Hogan spot as opposed to a match with Hulk Hogan. But whatever. Um, I would not trust his word. No, I wouldn't either. I just feel like it's worth introducing considering it's him we're talking about. Uh, as well as his interview on the WrestleMania 8 uh, lapsed fan. Dave Meltzer, that is. Forewar- forewarning, this is going to be a long-ass email. It's not that bad. So feel free to condense it however you see fit. Blah, blah, blah. One, Hogan versus Sid was the original plan, but then the summer happened and things got changed and got very muddled. All of a sudden, Ric Flair fell into the WWE's lap after his falling out with Jim Hurd and not long after Vince fired his other top babyface, Ultimate Warrior. Vincent, uh, yeah, okay, when he, okay, when Warrior was fired at SummerSlam 91, I gotcha, before he came back, okay. Vince then thought about moving Sid into that other top babyface position, away from the WrestleMania 8 main event. Yeah, Warrior's position, sure. But then sure. Sid became injured, and WWE wasn't impressed with how Flair and Hogan did business on the house shows. True. Hogan remained a negative media coverage lightning rod, and Hogan had decided to film another movie project, Mr. Nanny, after WrestleMania, similar to how he'd acted after WrestleMania 4 and WrestleMania 6. By this stage, Randy Savage was now back, so Vince could give him another top babyface run, and he could use the newly turned Undertaker as a special attraction to bolster the card in Hogan's absence post-WrestleMania. And late in the game, Vince pulls the trigger on bringing back Ultimate Warrior, so Vince could possibly make him the top guy once again long-term. Two, Hogan versus Sid was always the plan, and Vince stuck to the plan. All the chaos mostly impacted plans below that match. That's why, even with Warrior gone, Vince quickly rushed into Flair vs. Hogan after a short Piper vs. Flair program, non-televised house show program. As the year progressed, 
and Vince realized that Hogan was going to go off to make another movie again after WrestleMania 8, and that Hogan also remained a PR risk, he decided to keep Sid vs. Hogan main event. It helped that Hogan had headlined every WrestleMania, and being a heel suited Sid's desires, and Vince could slot the title matches on the undercard. And like above, Vince presumes he has Savage and Undertaker as face attractions, along with Ultimate Warrior with Shid Shango, Sid, Shango, Flair, etc. as top heels. Personally, of the two scenarios, he leans towards number two as the more likely one. Here's his case. So the difference, the essential difference being that, let me, let me get this exactly right, that Flair falls out, of, falls into the lap and kind of interrupts the Hogan-Sid plan. How would you characterize yeah. the difference between the two? Well, that, 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 the Flair situation does, um, um, it seems like the first situation is the flair thing is intriguing and would be a better turn, but then, you know, would be a better main event, but then Sid gets injured, can't be the, the baby face, you know, the second tier baby face to Hulk Hogan yeah. and, uh, uh, and that flair and Hogan does bad business. So they change it. They keep, they change it back. Um, and then the, I don't, I mean, the second scenario is Hogan said they never waver. It's just, Flair's right. It's just the whole thing. And it's just like everything. If Flair threw a monkey wrench in anything, it wasn't Hogan Sid. It was right. plans further down the card. Right. And that never, they never wavered off Hogan Sid. Right. And so he right. thinks that's the more likely of the two. And here's his case. First off, circumstantially, which maybe changes how to look at all the other on-air lip service to Hogan vs. Flair and WWE TV. J.J. Dillon was the main mm. other voice in the room with Vince booking after Patterson is gone. Out of all the shows where he was involved in creative, he's called WrestleMania 8 his baby. And I think about how he was involved with JCP in the 80s and helping Dusty with the book and how those broadcasts came off. Dillon was the cohesion-slash-glue guy, and Dusty was the big-picture vision guy. JCP yeah. broadcasts in the 80s were full of guys constantly talking about the championship-slash-top draw, also Ric Flair usually, and laying out possible programs between multiple guys who were on opposite sides of the face-heel divide. Sometimes they happened, sometimes they didn't. At the least, Dylan doesn't seem philosophically opposed to doing that stuff before a mega-event, as it regularly happened before Starcade. The booking. Sid comes in wrestling guys like Undertaker, Warlord, Tugboat, and DiBiase, and he's getting wins over those guys, including beating mm. Undertaker and Undertaker's signature casket and body bag matches. That hottest start clearly signals Vince has huge plans for him. Then, from at least SummerSlam 1991 forward, Sid gets the traditional booking for Hogan opponents, like Orndorff, Andre, Savage, and Tugboat. He becomes Hogan's buddy. Hogan calls him back post-match for a posit for opposing together routine, and in the post-show marriage reception, Sid recuses, or rescues, pardon me, rescues Randy and Liz from Jake's nasty snake. Ultimate Warrior has now left the company, and Sid has been endorsed by both Savage and Hogan on major shows. Yep. Unfortunately, Sid blows out his biceps, so he doesn't get a prolonged house show program with Jake, but surely Sid would have gone over there as he'd won all the house show matches they did have. Sid returns in January around Royal Rumble 1992. Sid eliminates Hogan from behind, something Hogan had done to a number of his supposed friends, but I digress. Right. And the post-match focuses more on justice and Hogan's issue. Did it to fucking tugboat the year before. Yeah, nice guy. Sid entered that Rumble at number 29 and is booked like a monster. He eliminates Savage, Piper, Martell, and Hogan. How WWE filmed the Rumble post-match suggests that the score between the two hadn't been settled yet, despite yep. how Hogan helped eliminate Sid as payback. Hogan and Sid briefly mend fences, but Sid gets irate and tries to tear up paper when at a staged press conference of five contenders. Yeah, he does fail at that, doesn't he? He can't <laughs> fucking rip paper. Yeah, they could have uh, given him thinner paper there. 
uh, Piper Savage, Hogan, Undertaker, and Sid. When Jack Tunney announces Hogan as the number one contender to the world title, Sid later apologizes to Hogan, but later Sid gets mad when Sean Mooney largely ignores him during a Sid Hogan promo to hype the tag match on Saturday night's main event. This is all a very traditional Hogan's tag team partner slowly turns on him angle, which gives WrestleMania 8 a main event collision of big, beefy bitches right as steroids and wrestling are in the media's mind. But with the company showing signs of struggling, Vince is going to go with what he knows and what in his mind is where the money is. Contrast Sid's booking with Flair's. Flair arrives in the summer after WWE already has a WrestleMania 8 plan on paper. He comes in hot with the real world champion thing and calling out Hogan and Piper to a lesser degree, but the presentation gets wonky and he's constantly run down as a fraud on commentary. How did his major programs go? And he links us to uh, 1991 WWE results to prove the point. He loses 27 matches in 1991, mm. mostly wow. to Hogan. He wins 34. A few of those are DQs and countouts against Hogan. Flair does pin his real-life friend Roddy Piper a number of times, usually with the feet on the ropes finish. But at Survivor Series, Flair gets a lame win over Piper's team by being the only person not DQ'd because he's been thrown outside of the ring and everyone else can't stop brawling. Mm -hmm. Later that night, Flair gives Undertaker the assist needed for Taker to briefly be world champ. Vince can't seem to help himself with how he presents Flair. Thankfully, Royal Rumble 1992 significantly rehabs Flair and is an all-time great show and performance from Flair. But it's possibly worth mentioning that Vince inexplicably hated Flair's tremendous with a tear in my eye promo to end Rumble 92. I've never really? heard that. Yeah, I've never, never heard, heard that. And overall, Flair, however, hasn't consistently been portrayed like past heel WrestleMania headliners were up to that point, such as Andre Savage and maybe even Slots, who beat Warrior Tito Duggan before WrestleMania 7. And post-Rumble, he's not exactly stacking up big TV wins before WrestleMania 8. That's a good point. His only high-profile match is a count-out loss to Hogan on Superstars. Really? He had a, he had a count-out loss to Hogan on Superstars? Flair? I don't know. Wow, I didn't know that. They're not televising any of his I, house show cheap pinfall wins. I didn't Piper. think that Hogan wrestled on Superstars. No, that's news to me. They're not televising any of his house show cheap pinfall wins over Piper, and he's mostly wrestling IC champ Piper on back-and-forth screwy finishes or non-title steel cage matches where he loses as much as he wins on the house show circuit. And where there are house show main event tags with a decisive finish, he's the one eating the pinfall loss to Hogan. 1992 Rick is great and awesome because he's fucking Ric Flair, but he's not really presented as a colossal rival. Is that who he was fucking? I didn't know. (laughs) But he's not really presented as a colossal rival that Hogan has to overcome to the level of Hogan's past opponents on WWE TV. Plus, the Savage program is the closest JCP fans ever got to Ric Flair having the nature boy persona he had in JCP WCW. That's true. But even there, he's still wearing Cosby sweaters instead of suits. Personally, I still love his work in the WWF run, and I think it's underrated. We all know Vince, while being in love with Hogan, still irrationally believes he can create a new Hogan. And re-entering the picture at WrestleMania 8 is his last new Hogan project, The Ultimate Warrior. Warrior even got to be involved in the WrestleMania main event ending, as after Shango's late run-in for DQ, the main event of WrestleMania, he runs the heels off, saves Hogan, and gets to pose with him and raise his arm. Unfortunately, despite still failing every drug test WWE did in 1992, many fans didn't believe Warrior was even the same person. His look was quite different. His muscularity was noticeably less ballooned, and his hair was shorter. But nevertheless, the WrestleMania ending we got leaves two opponents for Warrior slash New Hogan, Sid and Shango. Finally, if you believe the main event was changed late to Hogan and Sid after Vince entertains Flair vs. Hogan, and perhaps this comparison can cut either way, but compare the WrestleMania 8 situation to an established late change to Sid in the WrestleMania main event, WrestleMania 13. In 1997, the WWF was in even rougher financial shape relative to its past, losing to WCW, and late in the game, Vince changes the plan of Brett vs. Sean in the main event for the title to Sid beating Michaels, and then 
Wrestling Undertaker, because as Meltzer tellingly said, Vince loves big guys. If that's Vince's base competitive instinct, then Hogan versus Sid is the better big guys main event than Hogan versus Flair. Thanks for yeah. reading this far. I'm proud to be a patron. Well, we're proud to have you, Brian. Thanks very much for that exposition. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm with him. I, I, I like the case he lays out. And I've never really doubted that Hogan and Sid was the main event all along. I was just surprised. Yeah. I was just surprised that they hit it as hard as they did watching that Saturday night's main event back. That's what got my mind racing again. I know it's very it's it's it is very weird because like they they hit it so hard. Oh my god! So and uh, then yeah. So is it settled? I don't know. Uh, I mean, live your questions I, now. Maybe you'll roll into your answers some distant day. I still think that it was they just were going along with their plan, but they were. I don't know. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine that so far out, they're going to go with Hogan Flair when they know he's going to be that Hogan's leaving. Yes, for a while at WrestleMania. It. That's it. That's it. That's it. I think when it becomes abundantly clear that if they do um, Hogan Flair, Hogan has to go over, win the championship, and then disappear with the belt. That they would rather avoid that. And in that case, you got to go Hogan Sid. You know, I feel like Hogan yeah. Sid was always on the drawing board. The way they booked him was in the classic way through SummerSlam '91 that you book a guy to turn on Hogan eventually by ingratiating yep. himself to Hogan. But I feel like there was a real period in early '92 where they weren't sure, where both balls were in the air. They were keeping both balls in the air on purpose, but not as part of a grand plan to get back to Sid, as a way to keep Hogan Flair open as a possibility if they felt that started to make more sense. But as Hogan's schedule came into greater focus, and as Warrior, as Brian points out, comes back into play, when you remix and reshuffle the deck, by the time you get to the month before WrestleMania 8, it's like, shit, you know, we want to keep both options open, We've been keeping both options open, but ultimately we're going to go with the one we intended to at first. That does not mean that there weren't periods in between when it was considered a live possibility of change. I think J.J. Dillon's reflections talk about that, is how, you know, when you're saying that Hogan and Flair disappointed at the gate, which they almost certainly did in late 1991, as a factor, you're necessarily admitting that Hogan versus Sid wasn't set in stone and that the game right. and how well they performed had some bearing on what happened at WrestleMania 8. So one, another thing J.J. Dillon said is, you know, while Vince wouldn't admit this, uh, the match was booked five years too late. That was basically the prevailing sentiment of why Hogan Flair didn't go down in 1992. It just didn't have the spark that it would have had during the mid-80s when they both defined the wrestling world and the wrestling war on two sides of the planet. I mean, he's not wrong. Not at all. So that's that. Thanks very much for the follow-up there from uh, folks across the solar system, and Brian Blake in particular, as we uh, continue trying to put things to bed in the great annals of this fascinating business. And uh, it's time to get just about as fascinating as it does get, boss, on the other side of this break. I think so. And before we do that, it might be time for the August 1st, 1994, Monday Night Raw Death Toll. Yeah. We, um... We only have three. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's uh, good. It's kind of nice. You know, yeah, we sure. uh, we obviously have Randy Savage, of course, uh, Luna Vachon, and um, Lord Alfred Hayes makes kind of a little brief little cameo. Wow, really? Yeah, he does the uh, promotional consideration paid for by the following. He sure does. And I think they had just lost uh, referee Joey Morell in a car crash. He doesn't appear on the show, but... no. That is a WWF-related death that's kind of in the news around this point in time as well. 
but uh, very good. Yeah, so so kind of light. I mean, I also don't know about those two jobbers at the very end, the George Anderson and Tom Bennett. I'm yeah, not sure knows? what their story is, but yeah, there All it right. is. Maybe the uh, maybe cleaning the company out of steroids made a difference. That we looked maybe back it did. in '94, and it's not as grim as just two, three years prior. So we have set the table, and on the other side of this break, it's time for the latest deep dive into your WWE Network archive. It's Vince McMahon returning triumphantly to the announced position, calling the August 1st, 1994 edition of Monday Night Raw. He's a free man. He's a not guilty man. But he's got Mm. some things on his mind. Innocent, innocent man. On the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. This is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only.